0: What's up, everyone? Cody here. Today, I, or I guess earlier this week, I sat down with former helicopter rescue swimmer, Corey Sycott, who is rescue swimmer number 755. I actually messed up saying his name in the intro, so you'll hear that in a few seconds. It's a longer one. We got through, you know, we talked about a lot of different cases, really good cases, lots of good lessons learned from his end. So tune in, you know, it might take a few workouts to get through. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, go leave a rating and review on the Apple podcast page. If you're interested in some of our workout programs, go to rescueswimmermindset.com. You can Google it. It's on the IG main, you know, like the main link there. It's on TikTok. There's a link for it. It's on all of our platforms. It'll also be in the show notes. So go check them out. We have Win the day program is about like an all-inclusive program with weight training, pool training, calisthenics. We have a video course that Vince put on, on how to hold your breath, like a helicopter swimmer. That's all about improving your breath holding abilities. So go check it out and we'll get into this episode right now. Welcome to episode sixty-five of the Red Swimmer Mindset Podcast. Today, I am here with Corey Seckett, who is a former Coast Guard helicopter rescue. Wait, I said it wrong.
1: <laughs> Corey yeah. Seikat <Sci-cut>. or Chico? <laughs> Chico, yeah, whatever. Been called worse. Where are you living right now? Uh, so right now, I'm um, <clears throat> I'm living in Delaware. I grew up here, Bethany Beach. Surprisingly, there's a lot of uh, per capita, man. There's a lot of swimmers that come out of this area. That's true. Um.
0: I'm trying to think, I feel like I know a couple. Yeah. Did you, do you surf? Obviously, I see the surfboard in the background. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, I was a surfboard uh, oh, Yeah, there. back there. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like watching like some YouTube video in New Jersey, and it was like completely fire. It was like going off, like
1: huge. It's like that out there too. Yeah, yeah. When we get a good storm, man, the wind goes west, and we got a good ground swell. It's fun. Yeah. Even when it's not fun, it's fun. You know, I, I love the ocean, man. So that's kind of how I got into this whole whole rescue swimmer thing. Yeah. But uh yeah, man, we got a uh, like, you know, I know Jake Tartle, Robbie Granger, Tommy Everett. Uh, I'm sure I'm Joe Keith is from this area. There's a lot of lot of guys here. <clears throat> so just in the uh, meantime, like I, I had briefly mentioned to you that uh I got accepted to flight school, headed out to yeah. Oregon uh, here in a few weeks. But in the interim, I have been working at the Home Depot. Nice, and uh, I was like I was pulling up I was pulling up for your shift. And I saw this big F-250 with a swimmer sticker on the back of it and I was like, I was like, man, who I gotta go talk to him, you know, I can't yeah. I, I can't let this slide. And it was like this, you know, lady maybe in her fifties or sixties. I was like, oh gosh, like please don't, please don't make me do this. <laughs> like And she was she ended up being like the nicest lady. And then it was uh Pierre Boucher. Oh. His aunt, I think it was. Uh, she was up here doing some some project, and uh, we ended up like having a great conversation about him. And she hasn't seen him in a long time, and just small world. And you know, uh, any uh, you know, at any uh, given point, there's only what three hundred and thirty of us. Yeah, only just over a thousand of us to ever graduate the school. So it's such a small world.
0: So I knew him. He was, I think, like a third class in Miami when I was an airman there. I think. Okay, that sounds really familiar. But I, uh, he, I think he was working nights, so we didn't really interact a ton, but. It's, the name sounds so familiar. Right on. But I actually have like a really similar story to that.
1: Okay, let's hear yeah, it. Yeah, so
0: I actually ra- I got out so I got out in twenty seventeen to go back to school. I was living in uh Colorado, where I'm still living right now. Um and I was visiting a buddy in LA and I randomly was like at the beach in Malibu, we were gonna go climb this like random like there's like a a big like rock tower like in the middle of the beach there. We were going to climb and I saw like a swimmer sticker, same thing on this guy's car, and it ended up being Josh Register, which he was a guy in my class, and he, like, was just randomly there. I guess oh, he, was, he, was no. in San Francisco. he was in San Francisco, and he was just there, um, I guess, because the OPFAC is in Point Magoo now, which is, like, right around Malibu, so he was just there, like, going for a paddle, but it was so random, just running into someone from your class, you know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, uh, Josh and I were stationed in Atlantic City together. And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, him and I had a great, surf in, great surfer, uh, phenomenal guy. But uh yeah, we've got some stories together. Yeah, he's a goofball.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. If I'm sure you uh I don't know if you did uh check out my Instagram or not, but there's a uh way down below back when I was stationed in maybe twenty fifteen or so, uh there's a photo. He had a Volvo that he wanted yeah. to take out on the beach <laughs> and the the rules and regulations were that you can't have a car out on the beach unless it said four by four on it. So he went to the uh hardware store and got, you know, like mailbox letter or mailbox numbers and just did the 4X4 and stuck it on his car. And <laughs> uh, they were like, okay, it's <laughs> like, good enough. Good to go. Was, <laughs> like, like, we don't care. <laughs> I was like, what in the world? But hey. yeah, Josh is a good dude, man. Yeah. He's a, he's a character.
0: Yeah, last, I haven't talked to him in a minute. I knew he, I guess he's probably, maybe he's still in San Francisco. I guess he had like got a house in Santa Cruz. It sounded like he was living the dream out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he uh, ended up marrying the, the girl he was dating on Atlantic City and they just had a beautiful baby. And yeah, we awesome. all have to grow up sometime, I guess. I guess. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, this is my first time recording. So if there's anything, I'm sure Vince will ha- obviously cut this out, but... Uh, if there's anything like should I not drop names or oh I'm, I'm a big name guy or you
0: can drop names no. as long as you think it they'd be cool. It's not like we're saying there's no oh, like yeah. secret info. Yeah. So like stuff like this is fine. We probably won't even cut this out because no one really cares. It'll be like whatever. Very cool. Yeah. So I thought we should just get into some of your cases, but before I just for the sake like our, our yeah. audience is all, you know, um a lot of people are trained to like be rescue swimmers, so they're kind of just like rescue swimmer wannabes at this point. Um, so I like find it helpful to like talk about your background, athletic background, like kind of growing up. So like Did you, when you were growing up, did you, I'm guessing you were a surfer. You're from, you know, like the Delaware, Bethany beach area. So did you just surf or did you play sports or anything? Like what's your, what's your deal?
1: (laughs) Yeah, man. So it's actually kind of funny. Uh, I tell this, this story and people kind of can't believe it. Uh, I've been kicked off of every team that I've ever been on. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. But I, I mean, I did grow up. I, with, with the exception of little league baseball, I, I loved little, uh, little league baseball. And uh, I was actually a junior lifeguard here in at Middlesex Beach uh, over in Delaware, where they just kind of, kind of like maybe like a a junior airman program, just teaching people how to do semaphore and uh, save lives and run around. Basically, it was a uh, free babysitter for my parents. I think. Yeah. Like a but summer I, camp. I absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I I think it was from, you know, 10.30 to 11.30, but uh, my parents would drop me off at 10 and not pick me up until the lifeguard signed off at 5. And I would just run around, surf, and, you know, just hang out uh, with the the beautiful lifeguard girls that were... (laughs) Slightly uh, older. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit older, but, uh, you know... Um, but, yeah, I, I just grew up surfing and, and doing that. And swimming kind of just came naturally to me. Um, I was I did a swim league for, or a swim team for a year. But uh, other than that, I just played lacrosse, soccer, like I said, baseball. Um, I love ultimate frisbee, volleyball, nice. that sort of stuff. Right on. Um, but, yeah, uh, I got kicked off my lacrosse team, my soccer team. Uh, and it all ended up um, – People people think that it's kind of crazy, but it ended up because I wanted to go back to the beach and go back into the water. So if you're gonna tell me to go run sprints and the waves are firing, then, man, no. <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna make up an excuse to uh, get on out of here. But yeah. uh, it ended up giving me a career, and you know, a lot of people that stayed at practice and and did what they loved at the time. Like, I, don't get me wrong, I absolutely love lacrosse practice and all the other stuff, but you know my greater love was getting in the water and you know there's a comrade just like we have a brotherhood that's a camaraderie uh uh as rescue swimmers uh this the surfing community is just as small if not smaller uh especially here and you know a lot of people say they surf and they go out and grab a surfboard and uh they've done it one or two times but you know what is it, it uh today's uh february 15th and One of my buddies texted me this morning about the wind switching maybe this afternoon and going out at Northside. Uh, Right now it's about forty degrees out and the water's thirty six. Nice. So, we'll. (laughs) I mean, we'll be paddling out at some point as soon as the wind switches and, um, it's just a dedication and a love for the water.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things. Like just living in Boulder for the past, I guess three and a half years now, just like not being close to the ocean has been brutal. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm stoked to get out. Yeah, I am to do it, man. Yeah, I'm moving to Eureka in like two weeks though, so we'll be good to go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, so. Did,
1: did you announce on the pod uh, where you're headed? I actually did it.
0: No, I didn't. I just said oh, okay. I was going. But yeah, going to Humboldt Bay, so Northern California. Okay, I'm still cool. so stoked on that area. Yeah. <laughs> I can't
1: wait. Yeah.
0: Dude, I, did, I didn't want to
1: be your spoiler alert because I messaged you. Oh, no, you're good. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So you're excited? Do you know people out there? I know a couple guys out
0: there, um, and then one of my sponsors... Um, well, I guess so. I'm trying to think. The The first class out there right now was like actually a guy in my, my uh, baby class. He just ranked. He went to New Orleans and I just like got after him. Oh, he's wow. He's first class now. Yeah, he's doing really well, apparently. So he's... Uh, I haven't talked to him yet, but uh, oh. he's going to be in the first class. I don't know who the chief is at
1: the moment. Does it rhyme with sh- Sheminis? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the first class. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I was... Uh... I, I did a few years with him down in New Orleans. Right on. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a great guy.
0: I'm stoked to get out there. It he's seems great. like a, it's a tiny shop too. Like there's like seven or eight guys apparently. So it's gonna be kind of cool. I was in Detroit before too. So that was like, we had 12 to 13 yeah. guys depending on. So it was also small.
1: That's awesome, man. You're gonna you're gonna do good things. He, and he just got what a, uh, a DFC for a case out there. Yeah, fire rescue, right? The fire rescue, yeah. Just yeah. absolutely insane. I saw that YouTube what video. Incredible rescue. Yeah. <sighs>
0: Yeah, if, if anyone's listening that wants to see it, just go. It's on YouTube. Just look it up. Look up Fire Rescue Humboldt County, maybe. It might pop up. Yeah, Coast I think Guard so. Fire Rescue. Just yeah.
1: absolutely insane. Like he talk about almost putting your life or putting your life on the line and then coming so close to actually losing your life and have it recorded. The thing just about that is incredible.
0: Yeah, and we don't train like I don't know if they do there. But we don't have any standardized training for fire rescue, or even a lot of times. Like it sounds like they're starting to implement more like backcountry hoisting and stuff just for people who are lost, you know, in the wilderness. But that's not a thing we train for at all. So it's it's really
1: out of our out of our comfort zone. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, shout out to shout out to Graham and the, yeah. the good things that he does out there, and it's it just absolutely incredible, man. Like I I look at that story or look at that video and it gives me goosebumps, man. Because you never know, like. You watch the video and you know the outcome like hey graham's fine but yeah. being in that situation and just like any sar case, being in that situation you never know like what the outcome is going to be one of my greatest influencers his name is jake saw he's a uh, retired swimmer uh, chief uh, at, when he left atlantic city he went down to cape may and uh, ran the pool but uh he has an incredible rescue where he ended up almost getting in trouble for or almost getting in trouble and I I don't I don't I don't want to make up details but I know he ended up uh going underneath of a boat which is a complete yeah. no, uh capsized boat which is a complete no-no when it comes to what we have in our manuals and it was all to you know just save the lives of people and he almost got himself into a an extremely situ extremely bad situation and you know he ended up saving a couple people and they're here to live about it and tell about it and who knows it you know the the manual says one thing and then your heart says another. What do you do? Yeah. And that's a that's something that, you know, every rescue swimmer kind of has to live with and deal with and kind of you have one second to figure it out, you know, what path you're going to go down, left or right. And do you watch people die or hear people die when they're beating on the, the bottom of the hall or not? Uh, Was he out of East City for that case? Uh, Atlantic City. If, oh, Atlantic City. Uh, I'm a, I don't, I'm 90% sure it was in Atlantic City
0: cuz I think he's the only one who's done in it I don't know actually I, I don't want to like I guess say it. I just I've heard a I was listening to a podcast by a couple of uh, BMs they had to go out podcast and they had an admiral okay. talking about that case the admiral was actually like I think he was the commander of like maybe the either the sector at the time, or just like the area commander for the district or something. And he was like getting updates in the case. And he was saying how like the manual says like, you can't go under, you know, you can't go submerge under the water to go look for people and stuff like that. But he was like, it says that, but if you're in that situation, you know, sometimes you gotta bend the rules a little bit. And that that's
1: unreal. Like I can't imagine that's a badass case. (laughs) Right. It's absolutely like, yeah, 100% in, you know, like I was saying that the manual is black and white. Here is what you do and what you don't do, but then you put the human factor into it. And then, yeah, I remember what the manual says, but, uh, I'm not going to watch people, two people die. I, I, I'm not sure if it was two or three people, but yeah, I'm not going to watch these people die under my, under my watch and not do anything and everything because I know Jake was calling down, uh, to, or calling up to the helo, asking them to send down their seeds bottles you know the uh, bottles that we carry, uh, just in case a crash happens or whatever. Yeah. We need. Yeah, them for. it's only
0: like if for anyone listening who doesn't know about these bottles, it's like, what would you say they get about like six, like maybe ten deep breaths before it runs out of yeah, oxygen. Yeah, I think it's I think it's ten like for, to twelve. Ten to twelve. Yeah. You
1: yeah. Gotta get back I, in the manual. That's what I told <laughs>
0: people at uh, sweat training. Anyways. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. So it's not a lot of not a lot of oxygen. It's not like a freaking giant scuba tank. <laughs> it's like a little handheld
1: yeah. thing But yeah. But that's crazy.
0: But yeah, that's definitely the case. I was incre- listening to.
1: Yeah, it's just incredible the amount of like selflessness uh people have. Like you know, Jake has a wife and kids and you know uh Graham has a wife and you know uh just significant others and everyone that does these rescues that you know they they put themselves last and they put their families last for complete strangers it's just something that you know you I, I don't know how to describe it it's you can't train that no matter how difficult swimmer school is or pj school and i just listened to the uh uh your last podcast with the uh canadian Star tech and, yeah you know he he's the same way man like all those guys or everyone that decides to jump out of a helicopter for a living is just incredible like yeah there, there's something wrong wired in our brains
0: Oh, I know. Like, yeah, there's like, there's definitely something wrong or like maybe something right, whatever it is, the right, the right sequence, of wiring. But, but did yeah. you ever do any like training with the Canadian Star Techs when you were in?
1: I did. Uh, it was one, one flight I did. Uh, they came down similar story. Uh, he, he said he had gone down to Miami, but okay. uh, this crew had come down to Savannah. Right. And on. I did one free fall out of the, out of their helicopter and oh, called cool. it a day. But, uh. Yeah, nothing significant. Uh, super nice guys. They always fly down with a case of uh, some sort of delicious Canadian beer. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they they think that they're a, uh, uh, I don't know, they're not like a nuisance or anything in the shop. But they bring in all their gear. and you oh, know yes. they, They've got more gear than we do because medically wise and all that sort of thing. And so they just plop their gear in the middle of nowhere or <laughs> in the middle of the shop. And we're like, uh, we're like we have to, we have to pack. And they're like, oh, well, here's beer. And we're like, we have to put a raft on the floor there. Uh <laughs> Yeah. i trying to do some, some inspections. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, they go do their flights and check out for the day. And we're like, man, you guys are living the dream up there. <laughs> yeah. But then, yeah. you know, they go back to frozen lakes
0: and you're like, maybe not. Totally. They're doing like Arctic training or building igloos. And we're just like. <laughs>
1: in my head. Yeah. <laughs> so it's
0: like,
1: yeah, man, the last guy that I, w- I was listening to talking about uh setting traps for rabbits and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, holy cow. Yeah, <laughs> like I was like, I don't know I'm if a, I'm an animal lover. I don't know if I could do that or not. Yeah. But I mean, I guess when it comes down to the survival,
0: yeah. I loved hearing about their indoc course. It's just like go out into like wherever they were like British Columbia or something, survive for a few days with your buddies. <laughs> I was like, all right. It's uh good stuff, I guess. Yeah. I don't think yeah, that I don't. I don't just, think I'd like to do that job, honestly.
1: <laughs> no. they make it seem uh, like he was saying, like the oldest guy's sixty years old. Like man, I do. <laughs> yeah, I do not want to do anything with helicopters when I'm sixty. Nah, definitely uh, not. He's like he's like the
0: Tom Brady of of Canadian
1: StarTex. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Still still winning winning Super Bowls and saving <laughs> lives. I guess. Yeah. But, man, that's incredible. It is.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's get back to our, our audience. And all right, yeah, so where, where'd you, no, no, all good. Yeah. These are good tangents. What year did you like start training? So you joined the Coast Guard in what year? Uh,
1: so I joined the Coast Guard in 2006. I graduated high school in 2005, uh, Sussex Tech, Georgetown, Delaware. Shout out. I was kind of, I kind of didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, I kind of didn't know what I was going to do. And like the Coast Guard has always been, had always been a, uh, like, a thing that I've been super interested in, and I didn't really know, like, no one in my family that I know of has ever served in the military, so, I, like, I, you know, I saw the commercials, and I was like, man, like, that's kind of enticing, but I uh, went to, I signed up for the community college, and I was going for early childhood education, don't know why, just, you know, I love kids, and um, I I just wanted to kind of give back to my community, and I realized, like, I was, you know, probably not the best thing to say, but I was skipping classes and still making A's, and I was like, man, this isn't really challenging me in any way, shape, or form. Um, So I was like, I I knew I had to make a change. I wanted to get out of Delaware, you know, as much as I love it. I wanted to see the country and see, hopefully see the world. And, um, you know, so I started working for my dad, uh, who does, you know, a small business and repair, uh, company here, here for the beach houses, you know, uh, just repairing little, little stuff. And, you know, I, I love doing that stuff as well, but I, I wanted to spread my wings if you will. And, uh, I saw a commercial and my mom was kind of like, well, what do you want to do? Like, you know, you, you're 18 years old, kind of shit or get off the pot right now. And, True. uh, excuse my language, but, uh, I was like, at that time, the commercial came on. I was like, "I'll give that a shot," and uh, she was kind of like, "What?" I was like, "Yeah, the the guy that just jumped out of the helicopter." Like, "I'll I'll try that."
0: Wait, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you real quick. What commercial did you see? Because I'm like super curious. Because I remember there was a few. Do you remember? It was literally
1: just a, a swimmer jumping out of the helicopter, like out of a sixty-five. Right on. Carry on. Carry Keep on. going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, saw the guy jumping out of the helicopter, and I was like, "I'll give that a shot," and uh we went down to the recruiter two or three weeks later and uh it was a aet chief and i was like hey as soon as i got to the recruiting office he was like well what do you want to do i was like well i saw a guy jump out of a helicopter i'd like to try that and he was like he just went on a uh not a rampage but a tangent about how the attrition rate is 80 percent, and you'll you know you're never going to make it and I just felt like he was a salty guy and that just kinda of motivated me. Like, don't I'm the guy that, you know, you tell me though first let's say uh I walk into a, a room and there's a wet paint sign on the wall, do not touch. The first thing I'm gonna do is touch the wall to make sure that the paint's still wet.
0: Yeah, yeah. so don't tell me
1: I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna do something, especially if it's you know, something as cool as jumping out of helicopters and saving lives. So uh yeah, from there I went to boot camp uh where amt chief uh he retired but chief Shafino was my uh lead boot camp guy boot camp uh company commander yeah i guess yeah and uh that'll come full circle here in the at the end of my story but uh yeah so i went through boot camp and i actually got uh, most physically fit in my boot camp company i think it was like out of 80 people and you know I was kind of the underdog because I'm at that point I was like 180 pounds and you know my expertise were running swimming push-ups pull-ups and you know just all body weight and there were guys in there maybe not twice the size of me but they definitely lifted and uh yeah they they made me look like a punk until it came time to perform and um yeah so they're like oh I was super stoked because they were like, Oh, you know, you you get this award if you get most physically fit in your bootcamp company. And it ended up being a, at graduation, I met the, uh, captain of the, uh, Kate may base. And it ended up being a watch with Mickey mouse on it. Nice. (laughs) Like, man, what? (laughs) this is absolutely ridiculous. This is what I competed for. Yeah. But, uh, my mom still has it. I get, I, uh, gifted it to her and, uh, yeah, but uh, I was like, "What? Where did you guys get? This? Did you guys go to like the thrift store?" And you're like, "Oh man, this ought to be good for for Corey." But uh, yeah, it was it was a great time. And then uh, yeah, so from there, I got stationed on Coast Guard Cutter Bear, uh, two seventy out of Portsmouth, Virginia, where I ended up being a seaman, and I was there for fourteen months, and I had a great time on there. Uh, it was the last boat with. That was only a all, full male crew. Uh, so we had no females on board. Uh, actually, the day that I got uh, my or my orders were executed down to Savannah for my airman program was the first time uh, they had a female on board and she ended up being the captain of the, uh, the ship, uh, which was kind of incredible and monumental. Was she the captain? Like She reported as the captain or are you saying she worked her way
0: up to captain eventually? Uh, so she reported as the captain. Okay, that, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we we were a full male crew and then she walked on board and she was the captain and uh, from what I've heard and I, you know, I can't back this up but from what I heard uh, females started to trickle in uh, you know, by the handful just to make it not one female and 119 males. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And uh, there was a So I actually had a funny story, not a funny story, but a a wild story. When I was a non-rate on the boat, uh, Captain Pulver was the captain. Uh, He used to be the, I think he was the captain of the Coast Guard Academy as well, prior to, maybe after, before or after he was the captain of of Coast Guard Cutter Bear. But uh, so there was four or five guys, uh, seamen and firemen, that wanted to go rescue swimmer. And I saw these guys get orders and i was like oh my gosh like these guys are in such great shape and you know one thing after another or one guy after another uh they went out to their MM program one guy got kicked back second guy got kicked back third guy got kicked back and i look at these guys i'm like well this guy can run faster than me this guy can swim faster than me this guy can lift heavier weights than i can and i was like man if if these guys can't do it what am i doing you know and uh so I put in a chit. This is after I had already requested to put my name on the ASTA school list, and I was like, man, I can't be a non-rate for another year and a half. Like watching these guys, watching these guys get kicked back and uh, doing their thing. I'm like, man, I can't, I can't paint more bits and do more lines and clean more toilets. Like that's not what I joined the Coast Guard for. So I switched my name to the BMA school list. I put in a chit. And we were underway at the time. And this is maybe about a week or two after I submitted the chit. And we were doing something underway. Like I was painting or cleaning or something. I forget what I was doing. But uh, I get piped up the CO's office. It's like Seaman psychot uh, laid the CO's, captain's bridge or whatever, whatever it was. And I was like, oh God, like, what did I do, man? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just like painting or cleaning, whatever it was. This was back when we had to tuck in our shirts and all that sort of stuff, or blouses. So, like, I go and put my blouse on and I go out to the captain's lounge and, and uh, or captain's quarters. And I'm talking to the captain and he's like, look, man, like, why? I'm, I'm being very nonchalant about it. He didn't say, look, man, but yeah. he was like, you know, uh, semen Saikot, semen why do I have a chit requesting for you to go to BMA school after I just signed your chit to go to a for you to put your name on the ASTA school list maybe two a couple months ago and I was like well and I explained the same thing like captain like I you know I don't want to do this anymore uh I would love to go rated and then maybe try my chances at switching over and he was like absolutely not and I was like uh captain like like, I'm I'm begging you, like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And he was just like, he's like, I'm not signing. He's like, there's a difference between you and every other person that you know that has put put their name on this list. And I was like, Kevin, like, I'm flattered, but, like, for the third time, I'm, I'm asking you to sign off on this. And he's like, Corey, do you know why, like, when we pull into port and I put the boat in the water, which I always thought that was just normal. Uh, like we w- we ended up in Jamaica, uh, Cartagena, Colombia, Cozumel, Mexico. We went all over, uh, we hit all the ABC islands and every time they put the small boat in and I thought it was just a normal swim call. So when they put the boat in, like we could go swimming and I would be the only person to go swim. And he was like, and everyone else would, you know, go do their thing, you know, n- maybe 90% of them went to the bar. 10% or 5% went to go call their wives and find Wi-Fi. that like we didn't, this was back when you had to put the live ca- or the uh, webcam on top of your computer. Oh yeah. And nice. uh, <laughs> like this is old. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and uh, he was just like, I see what you do. Um, and you operate different. As soon as we pull into port, you go for a run. As soon as we pull into port, you go for a swim. He's like, I put that boat in that water because I want you to, you know, exercise. I want you to get to where you want to be. I don't want you to settle for. Uh, in my dreams, and I'm not taking anything away from the BMs that are, I'm sure, going to give you hate mail for this.
0: I know, but I don't. <laughs> I don't want you to
1: settle for being a BM if your dream is to be an AST. Um, and for I'm forever in debt to to that guy, and he told me <clears throat> he was like, I will be the first person. To congratulate you when you graduate ASTA school, and I'm not joking. Maybe within a week, he wasn't the first person, but he was the first person to shoot me an email as soon as I. And I have no idea how he figured it out or how he got noticed or notified, but he he uh, shot me an email saying, "Hey, I told you so! Congratulations!" And that was I think he was one star back when he uh, shot me that email. I was like, "Oh, Damn. holy cow, man!" That's awesome. That guy, I mean, yeah. props,
0: like, that's great leadership. That's unreal. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And nicest dude, nicest guy ever. Like, I mean, when he had to rule with an iron fist, because I went to a couple of on board, not me, obviously, but uh, when people messed up, he, he wanted them to take ownership for it. And uh, I'm not saying he was lenient or he was super stern, but he gave out fair punishments and it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing story. And what was the admiral's name? Is he retired now? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, Pulver. Okay,
0: so he signed off. So he so basically you wanted to become BM and he was like, no. So what happened after that? You just like waited out like another like six months before you went to Savannah or.
1: Yeah. So after that, the boat found out uh, like the crew found out what I was going to do. And the uh, the movie Guardian had been released. So oh, nice. I was called goldfish <laughs> for for the rest of my time. And there were a few people that were pretty cynical towards me. Like their attitudes completely changed. Um, there there was some messed up stuff. Like there were, there was definitely a little bit of hazing. That's yeah, yeah, just not not a fair shake. I hope that doesn't happen anymore. You know, yeah, I, I hope
0: so as well. My experience when I was going through was like my guys, all the freaking bms and mks as a small boat station in, in the florida keys they're like you're probably not going to make it but they gave me as much opportunity as as they could they like they let me work out on base and all this and swim yeah. when i could so hopefully it's not like that anymore but you never know
1: yeah i mean to, to to take away from someone's dream because you're cynical or jealous or you know whatever it is man that's a that's a low point in a human I hope anyone that's listening to this podcast never takes away from someone's dream because of their own selfish reasons or jealousy. Or, and there's friends of mine that have tried to go through rescue of summer school, school that are BMs or MKs and stuff like that. And they're flourishing in their careers. And they've got great plans for when they get out. Um, and like I ha- they hold no jealousy towards me and I hold no jealousy towards them. With the exception of, man, I would love to know how to work on small boat engines right now because that is such a great, great uh, career path and pays very, very well. Um, Everyone's like, everyone sees that commercial of Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer jumping out of a helicopter and and you know it. But we don't have that commercial unless we have PAs, we don't have the MKs, we don't have the ground support. Like none of this happened or none of that photo or video happens without the guys supporting us and it's a team effort.
0: You even need like a small boat to freaking give you some cover when you're doing helo ops. So like everything requires, there's so much that goes into just, just jumping out of a
1: helicopter one time. It's unreal. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to, you just said the small boat and that'll lead me up into that, uh, oil rig crash story. Like I couldn't have done it without station Venice, but I did want to give a shout out to Ashley leopard. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. She, she had been on the podcast before and, uh, She's one of the one of my favorite flight mechanics and saved my life a couple of times. So I told her I was coming on the podcast and an incredible human being.
0: You were stationed with her in New Orleans, I'm guessing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She's yep. awesome. Nola. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was my mech a, a bunch. Yeah. She's a she's a
1: character, but uh, she's she's an incredible human being.
0: She's amazing. Yeah. We flew a bunch together in, in Detroit. And any case, like she's always had like the best attitude, even if it's like the most like annoying, like just flare sighting, like four <laughs> hours away. She's like, whatever. Like she's cool about it. It's, she's awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, Ashley, shut up. Like I'm trying, I'm trying to like, sleep in the back of the <laughs> helicopter. Jesus. Yeah. Just kidding. Pretty much. <laughs> but no, uh. Ashley, so Air Station New Orleans sent two crews to Houston prior to Hurricane Harvey. I think we got there 72 hours before, and Ashley was... She wasn't my flight mechanic. Uh, John Rivera was. Shout out to John. All right. Uh, Also saved my life a couple times down there. But yeah, so we ended up 72 hours in a hotel together, and we were going stir crazy. I can't tell you how many games of Uno we played, and we... It, that was back when uh, the Mike Tyson fight happened. I think it was Mike Tyson. And, uh, yeah, it was some big deal. And Yeah, I remember we like, that. Man. Yeah, we were trying to get out of the hotel. And uh, the only place that was open that was selling tickets was Hooters. And, you know, we had two pilots and a flight mech and a swimmer for each crew. And then we had ground support. And uh, there was, like, 12 or 15 of us. And they were charging $50 a ticket and actually your next supervisor was there with me. Nice. And, uh, I might as well just say it, Graham, Graham McGinnis was out there and, uh, Graham ended up having, if you can ever get him on your podcast, he's a, he's a phenomenal storyteller as well. But, uh, we ended up, uh, yeah, just cruising out. And next thing I know, this is super out of order by the way pilots ended up like beating on our doors at two o'clock in the morning after we said no we weren't paying fifty dollars to go to hooters to especially when we can't you know have a beverage or two yeah uh we're not going to be sitting around 15 of us aren't going to sit around a bunch of drunk people and uh watch a fight for i don't know four (laughs) hundred (laughs) dollars and uh dip out as soon as it's over but uh yeah two o'clock in the morning ish uh our pilots hit started beating on our doors like hey get your stuff together and let's roll. And I'll never, there's a photo of me. Uh, cause after that I was like, I'm going to go to Domino's and get a pizza. Cause at this point we were like, Oh, this is going to be like every other hurricane. It's not going to be a, it's going to be a nothing burger. And, uh, yeah, we ended up, uh, just kind of laying low and getting Domino's and I'm eating wings and I fall asleep <laughs> around maybe 11 o'clock pilots beat on the door and they're like hey let's rock and roll and there's a photo of me like with my half a pizza that i didn't finish eating and i'm like we're in a gallon of water i always i drink a gallon of water a day so my uh someone in my crew took a photo of me like half asleep like walking through the little lobby and they're like what are you doing i'm like uh you guys said i needed to be down here and then we had four feet of water outside of our hotel uh one of our pilots tried to get our rental car to go. He flooded it out in the parking lot. So uh, there's a totaled rental car. Um, thank God, uh, Chief Jamison brought when he did drive down from New Orleans. Uh, he had the F three fifty or four fifty or five, whatever giant truck that we had down there, and uh, so when he got there, or when we woke up, we were because like, we tried to call a dump truck company to be like hey we'll ride in the back of the dump truck to get to the air station because at this point we had the coast guard had had a few hundred 911 calls like hey uh water's rising there's nowhere for us to go and we're like holy cow like this is this is the holy shit let's rock and roll time you know like this is what we've trained for our entire lives so we threw the stuff in the back of the truck there's people sitting on laps and you know all the roads are flooded we're going through three, four four feet of water and let me backtrack a little bit they took the first crew and that was actually Graham's crew and on the way back Chief Jameson came back with a, a family that didn't speak much English and we're like who who are these people <laughs> like where did you go I thought you dropped off the, or we thought you dropped off the other crew and uh Chief was like um yeah this family was they were just trying to get a meal their their house has already been flooded they have nowhere to go so we offered up our hotel rooms, specifically Chief Jameson's. And mm. as soon as that happened, we were all like, hey, we're not not going to be sleeping here ever again. So we handed in all our hotel keys. Like if there's a family or anyone that needs a place to stay because of the hurricane, uh, feel free to give them our rooms. Hindsight, we were like, man, hopefully no one destroyed a hotel room in our names. But right. uh, <laughs> it all worked out. It all worked out. Nothing was destroyed. and. I mean, I guess the tab wasn't on my name, so hopefully the Coast Guard never had to pay up. But uh, everyone was in a, a dire situation at that point. But, uh, yeah, my crew hopped in the truck, and next thing I know, we're... So one of the Houston crews had flown over, and I have no idea what they were doing. I don't To this day, I don't even know who the swimmer was on that plane. And then we got there. Uh, we started my crew and i made the deci- decision we're like so, you know everything is uh weight lot or weight dependent how much can we put in and take out so my crew and i made the decision we're like hey you know the the raft I, the LRU25 at that point i think it was 65ish pounds and we're like do we get rid of this thing and then we started talking about the swimmer raft that, that, what is that 9.6 pounds you better get ready for the service yeah. wide by the way i know i'm like get back. Uh, in whatever the that is yeah <laughs> um yeah so like we're starting to add up like all these little tiny bits of weight and see what we can get rid of and we're kicking out rafts and you know um and i'm bringing on more gear because they're like here's a chainsaw here's an axe and i'm like how do i start a chainsaw i i don't know if you ever got chainsaw trained down in Miami. But yeah, the first time I got chainsaw trained was 30 minutes to me hopping in a helicopter for Hurricane Harvey. And they're telling me, you know, cut in with an axe and make sure there's no power lines. And, you know, unfortunately, some of those areas, people think that when the floodwaters rise, like your your best escape, escape is to go higher and higher and higher, which makes sense until you get to your attic and, or get to your attic. And there's nowhere to go from there. And that's how, you know, thousands of people died in Hurricane Katrina uh, down in New Orleans. And there was a few pe- few families just in my my sense of rescues and my crew uh, where I was pulling people out from, you know, I one family, I pulled out 12 people. There was a, like a little vent on the side of the A-frame of the house. So I pulled out 12 people, put them on the roof. And, uh, we ended up, I think four of the people, maybe four or five of the people, uh, I hoisted via basket. And then luckily one of the small, the fan boats, uh, the cage. also shout out to the Cajun Navy.
0: Oh, Uh, (laughs) those
1: guys came out and they saw kind of what was happening. You know, people see a helicopter and they kind of flock to it like a bug light. And, uh, like I was able to like lower some of the, uh, younger kids down to the, to the fan boat and those guys took them away i'm sure you know i made sure that uh everyone had an adult that way there was some sort of you know it would have been super easy for me to put you know eight kids in a helicopter and three adults in the fan boat but i didn't want to separate women and children and husbands and wives and that sort of thing but uh yeah just incredible and then uh yeah and uh Just ridiculous rescues from there on out. I unfortunately uh, had to pronounce someone dead, which is not even in our... Toolbox. Hemisphere. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, this family. So I ended up going on one of the rescue swimmers from New Orleans. So they flew in the day of. They were like, holy cow. Once we figured out the devastation that was happening in Houston, Air Station New Orleans sent a third crew out there. And keep in mind... New Orleans has a B zero and a B one at all times. So you got your backup crew and then the B one, or I'm sorry, you got your zero crew, which is stays at work all the time. And then you've got your B one that, Hey, if you, if your phone rings, you need to be ready to rock and roll in one hour. So they sent in the third crew and I think it was the B one crew that ended up having and and another crew had to end up uh, filling in. So all our planes, if I'm not mistaken, we're up. If not, it was four, four out of five. Bob's crew came in, and dang, I forget where I was going with the story. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so we got got to the airport, learned how to use the chainsaw, uh, lesson on how to use the axe and the chainsaw and get into the roofs and pulling people out of the attic and stuff like that. And then, uh, yeah, we ended up doing rescues. I'll never forget this one lady. We, we ended up, we probably hoisted... I went to this one community, and this is actually kind of a funny story now, you know, hindsight 2020. but I went to this community, that our initial call was a guy had broken his ankle, and he was stuck up in his attic. This is the first call, so we had just broken daylight, and I'm like, I'm ready to rock and roll, you know? I'm like, holy cow, this is it. You know, we're about to do the king's business, and the report was, uh, you know whatever road it was and we're like obviously our helicopters don't have street names so the description was they gave us a general gps spot and they're like okay there's a white pt cruiser in the driveway and cody i'm not joking you this might be the only street in america with three white pt cruisers <laughs> within a quarter mile of each other in the driveway so I'm like, what in the world? So my pilots are like, uh, you know, uh, Lieutenant Commander Ward at the time, and then uh, Lieutenant Bogdan, Emily Bogdan, we're like, okay, let's put me down. And we're, I'm like, man, what am I gonna do about power lines? Uh, you can see oil out of cars, you know, the entire top part of the water is just an oil sheen. Um, you think just random debris is floating by. So I'm like, holy cow. So I take my axe down with me and I don't know anything about power lines. I'm like pushing it in front of me like, you know, like a blind man's stick. Uh, I'm like, I have no idea if this will help me or not. But uh, so I go to the first place. I'm like knocking on the door like, you know, U.S. Coast Guard rescue swimmer. uh, Is anyone in here? Nothing. So I call up to my pilots. I'm like, hey, are we sure this is the house? And they're like, no, like kind of make a judgment call. So I'm like, you know, what do I do? And then like I talked about earlier, you got that one second to make a decision. Helicopter flying and uh, helicopter hovering. My crew's still talking to me. And then you've got, like, at this point, the cavalry is starting to fly in. And this is the morning of. So like there's helicopter flying, helicopter flying, helicopter flying. There's tons of chatter over the radio. So we're trying to figure out what radio channel to switch to because my crew is trying to talk to me um, and they're telling me they're low on gas. So I'm like, I, t- I, you know, make that split second, sex- split second decision. Uh, and I bash in the door and I'm like, this is the back door after I tried all the doors and windows. Cause I'm like, man, I don't want to ruin this guy's house. Like, even though there's already <laughs> four feet of water in it. And sure enough, like I go through this house and there's no one there. So I oh. close the door. I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I feel like a terrible human being. So I go out to the front, and they're like, oh, yeah, that guy just left like 20 minutes ago. It's like, oh, wish you guys would have told me that about 25 minutes ago <laughs> yeah. or 15 minutes ago. And uh, so I go to the next house and start beating in the door, same thing. The neighbors come out, and they're like, yeah, like that guy left. And I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> like how are there so many, not just PT cruisers in this neighborhood, but why are they all white? So I finally go to the third house and, uh, the guy ended up, he was in a wheelchair and some, like one of their neighbors had brought a wheelchair over and we're getting, uh, him to one of the Cajun Navy flat boats. Yeah. It, it was incredible. And then, uh, yeah, from there we just started, like, like I said, doing the King's business and I started going around the community. So my helicopter, they hit bingo and I'm sure uh, the listeners know what bingo is.
0: Yeah. Basically like the point where you got to, Turn around either like you got to go get fuel, you know, or I mean, it's just a fuel point So you got to turn around and go get fuel. So
1: yeah Yeah, so we had hit bingo and my pilot told or called me over the radio after we've f- uh, switched frequencies or whatever or channels and uh, So I'm, I'm down on scene by myself. So I'm like, man I, I got to figure out, you know, like I'm in this community by myself. I hear helicopters. I see helicopters I see swimmers getting lower down. Yeah, you know uh, maybe five or six blocks to my right five or six blocks to my left and like, we're a force at this point. And uh, so I start going through the community. I'm like, you know, I'm yelling US Coast Guard rescue swimmer. Like, is there anyone that needs uh, medical attention? Like, let me get you out of here. So people start coming out of their doors and I'm screaming, like I'm yelling as loud as I can. I put my strobe light on top of my helmet, just kind of, hey, let, like if you need help, let me get you out of here. So there are a few families that are deathly afraid of water so I kind of got them and there was a few families, which I couldn't have done it without. There were a few people that were athletic in good shape. And I was like, hey, I kind of staged them throughout the community. We I, I picked a house that was kind of like in the middle, like it wasn't in the most shallow part, but it wasn't in the deepest part. So I got people uh, from the deepest part and then I kind of worked my way out and I started funneling people towards them. So about every I don't know, 50 yards, I had somebody like I would walk them 25 yards and they would meet me and then they would escort them to the next person, the next person, the next person, the next person, Um, which is kind of like one of the coolest things about the entire rescue process that I had in Houston. Like just community members, like they may or may not have ever even communicated a day in their lives, but here they are saving their own uh, and just rescuing them. Uh, so I kind of commandeered. So I, I I took this house. It was a family of uh, nine. They spoke a little bit of English. So there's a bit of a breakdown in communication. Uh, they had like three or four very very young kids, and I was trying to like kind of figure out what I was gonna do with them. And my pilot is circling. He's orbiting. Um, and I'm just like, man, like what do I do at this point? And like, how do I get these guys on the roof? Cause there's no safe hoisting area. I'm not gonna put them in the water. Uh, like there's debris, uh, there's dead animals, dead dogs, cats floating by. And like I said, oil sheens are uh, all over the place. And so I commandeered the house, the roof of the house, if you will. And I was like, how do I get these guys up there? And literally the neighbor across the street was like, hey, I've got a ladder. So he brings me over a ladder. And we put it against the uh, the gutter, and I took. I was like, "This is this is awkward. This isn't going to uh, bode very well for you know uh, a long term thing." So I took the axe and I cut down this this guy's rain gutter. You know, hopefully insurance covered it uh, for yeah. that guy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I ended up getting like twenty or thirty people. There's a YouTube video out there of someone that recorded the entire rescue, and then you know maybe about. 10 10 people in 15 people in uh the local police came in on a fan boat and uh like one of the officers was like oh yeah like you know can I help you and I'm like no man I'm good so I kind t- of oh, and then I kind of like hindsight or uh, kind of retrospected I was like actually like these guys are they know what they're doing like I can definitely use a set of hands on the on the roof you know it's wet it's We got hurricane force winds. The water's rising. Like, why would I turn down an extra set of hands? You know, when we're trained, we're trained to do everything ourselves, like not to rely on anyone else. So it took me a a half a second to swallow the pill. Like, man, maybe maybe it would be awesome to have have someone else help me. So the one cop uh, gets on the roof. And unfortunately, the way his taser was designed or their (laughs) belt... He ended up tasing himself in the leg. Damn. (laughs) And like, he fell over on the roof. And I'm like, oh man, are you okay? And like like I said, the boat was still there. So then another officer comes up and she does the exact same thing, tases herself. And I'm like, what is happening? I was like, no more, no more of you guys on the roof. Like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna have to put you guys up in the helicopter as well. And, uh, they ended up like pulling the prongs out of their legs, and like they're like, "Okay, we're good to go." I was like, "You guys are more, you know, badass <laughs> than I am." Like, if I just got tased, I don't think I'd be. I'd That's be. so uh, great to help anyone right there, but uh, yeah, they ended up being true, literally troopers, and uh, yeah, they they ended up like helping me, and they ended up taking uh, a couple of the super in- young kids, infants, on their fan boat, um, which was crazy the way the spot that I was in, it was super, super deep compared to, you know, like four or five feet of water to where it was rising. And like I said, this was the first day. So we had no idea how fast the water was going to rise. Uh, but if you went, well, maybe about a mile down the road, it was flat. Like it was, there was no water. It was obviously raining, but uh, people had started setting up uh, just kind of tents and, you know, wool blankets and getting people warm and dry and food and that sort of thing but uh yeah so then after that um yeah i kind of already talked about the the attic case and then i went to a small community where um this was the last rescue of the day i'll never forget it we were there and so it was it was kind of a low income area so it's like apartment buildings and there was tons and tons of people just out outside, and I was like, "Holy cow!" Because we got a nine one one call for a lady that was having some sort of medical issue. We we didn't know if it was a stroke or a heart attack, but the the port that the report that we had gotten was like this lady needed to go to a hospital. So we got the GPS, got lower down, and you know I, I've heard some horror stories out of Katrina about you know people you know, threatening rescue swimmers with guns and like, Hey, like you're going to take me first. And I'm like, you know, just, that's the only thing I can think of. And I'm like, you know what, I'm here to do a job. Uh, this is what I signed up for. So whatever, whatever I can do, I'm going to do. Uh, so I go down there and this lady, sure enough, uh, I gave her the Cincinnati stroke test and she had failed every, or I guess if you, she passed every, every part of the cincinnati stroke test yeah in the sense of she failed it um she had every single sign of having a a massive stroke um so she was my first priority and i caught up to the helicopter and i'm like hey we got to get this lady out of here and here she comes out with two bags um trash bags full of stuff and i look into the bag and i'm like like one of the bags has Ketchup in it. It's like a white trash bag. I'm like ma'am like we are trying to save as many people as possible like I can't be bringing the condiments out of your refrigerator and she's like She's like I'm so sorry like I, this is all I have I don't have insurance like literally what I have on my back and in My hands is this is what I'm gonna be living with and I was like, okay So I look in the bag and it's got clothes and stuff in it. I'm like, whatever. And I was like, well, what's in this bag? because I see, like, I see, like, another ranch bottle of dressing sticking mm-hmm. out, and and I was like, well, what what the heck is this, and she's like, this is my husband, and I was like, oh, my goodness, wow. like, he's he's in an urn in a trash bag, and I felt like the worst person on the planet, I was like, oh, my gosh, okay, like, let me get all of you and your stuff, no more questions asked, let me get you in the helicopter, and uh, I ended up, there was a same helicopter there's a photo i think i don't know if i posted it on instagram or not but uh there's a the same neighborhood there's a family and so this guy's like whole family outside i think it was two or three of their kids him and his wife and i start hoisting i i hoisted the wife and i was like hey everything's gonna be fine My, my pilots are like hey we're we're super low on gas we can take we can take four or five people like we're because at this point we had already hit a we're about to hit our bag so i knew we were done after this so yeah we get or i saw hoisting people hoisting people and the guy has a dog and like it's maybe about 40 pounds and we had set out a blanket rule we're not hoisting animals because that 40 pound dog could be two infants or three infants or you know like we're trying to get as many people to safety as possible and unfortunately dogs are a second priority to what we're about to do or what we're trying to do so i i put the 14 year old daughter i put her in the basket and the guy and i give the thumbs up so the basket starts coming up and i'm about chest deep water so things aren't like you know it's pouring down rain i want to paint the scenario it's pouring down rain the helicopter is hovering above me the pilots are talking to me this guy's screaming at me I got the girl that I'm trying to talk to. I'm trying to tell this guy that, you know, the dog isn't welcome. And like, I'm like, I don't know what you need to do. Go put it in, you know, the top stairs of your your place. And hopefully it survives. And he's like, no, I'm not leaving the dog. And I was like, well, you're not coming with me. I'm not bringing a dog. And like, I just kind of had this super closed mindset of like what we talked about. We're not bringing animals. And I was like, look at this point. So he goes, I I give the, like I said, I give the thumbs up to the, to the flight mech to John. And the dad goes in and reaches and grabs his daughter out of the basket. So at this point, she's like halfway in halfway out. And he's like, if you're not taking my dog, you're not taking any part of my family. And I'm like, man, uh, half your family's already in the helicopter. Like, what are you doing? Like you're about to kill your daughter over something stupid. Like, let your daughter go like and let's have a conversation so he let her go like i kind of had to like force his hand off his daughter not not guardian style i had to like yeah uh back elbow him into the <laughs> into the nose or whatever but uh so i ended up being like hey if anyone asked you a question i didn't know you had the dog like let's just call it a day let's this is my last case I'm, i know i'm done flying so we land at the airport, turn the plane around. Another crew gets in. Uh, they did the quick pre-flight or whatever they had to do. It, it had like a couple hours of maintenance to do, or a, a quick like maintenance inspection. And I I talked to him. I was or I, I found him afterwards, and we were covering everyone in wool blankets, and people are hypothermic, and I was like, man, what is the deal with this dog? Like, cause it it was a puppy, like. super you know like it was a puppy but it was a big puppy and uh he was like look I lost everything in Hurricane Katrina I just lost everything I own in Hurricane Harvey he's like the only thing that I have is my family and this dog he's like I'm about to hit the restart button for the third time in 15 years or 10 years or whatever it was And uh, it just broke my heart, and I was like, I'm so glad that I just kind of, like, turned a blind eye and was like, just bring your dog, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. And Darren Herity has, like, the same story about – there was, like, a – I don't know if it went viral or not, but there's a photo of him hoisting the wheelchair uh, in the 60. Like, just what an incredible (laughs) photo that is. Like, people can live without their wheelchairs, but, man, like, you know – you, ne- you never know like what means what to people and yeah, just incredible.
0: Yeah, because a lot of times, you know, like the pilots do make a point they're like, hey, we can't take any extra weight, but then it's like, it's a freaking puppy that's like that guy's life, you know, so it's obviously a good time to bend the rules.
1: Yeah, it's so easy to be like, oh, this is what the manual says and, and I'm not taking anything away from the pilots or the flight mechanics, but they don't have that personal... Feeling. like they don't have that personal connection to where you're looking someone in the eyes and like there's a 70 year old lady telling me that their husband in this is in this trash bag because he died and like his ashes are in this yeah it's a trash bag full of like condiments and stuff like that that are nonsense i'm not going to make her weed things out but i'm um, at the same time i'm not going to tell her to leave her husband to, you know like she's already had to say bye once obviously and I'm not going to make her do it. A, make it. Make her do it a second time. Yeah. But
0: uh, yeah. Yeah, Harvey. That's that's incredible. It's like I was just reading uh Gerald Hoover his book Brotherhood of the Finn. Uh, I just finished it up. I don't know if you read it. Yeah, but it's awesome. MC. Um, yeah. Master Chief I, Hoover. Master Chief Hoover. Yeah. I actually emailed him right after. I was like, this book's amazing. Yeah. I can't believe it took me so long to read it. Um, but yeah, he was talking about Katrina in the book, and a lot of the. I mean, it's there's so many parallels, you know, that it seemed like Katrina and Harvey shared. Um. Yeah, it's just awesome. This and it's also it seems like you guys learned so many lessons that you brought down to Harvey and just executed really well. Absolutely. How many swimmers ended up getting down there? Uh, because I remember he said in Katrina it was like a almost like a third of the entire rescue swimmer rating got down there and got some in. What was it for Harvey? Because I I had just gotten out, so I didn't really have any inside scoop on on all the you know logistics. How many swimmers ended up going down to Harvey to,
1: to help out? Yeah, So. I'm not exactly sure how many swimmers were down there. I know uh, my first two days, uh, like, after we started doing work, so I bagged out, and then I'll never forget it. I had to share a bed, actually, with Graham. Yeah. (laughs) Because everything was flooded, Uh, so we couldn't sleep on the floor. Everything was super wet. Uh, Like, all the cots were wet. Uh, So Graham and I grabbed a quick... I don't even know how many hours it was. Like, we hit our reset and then we were like hey we're ready to rock and roll again um yeah I, I don't even i think it was like in the fbo but like the fbo and the people that were working there we couldn't have done it without them as well so like talking about the chain of people that it needs to things need to work like the fbo people had nothing to do with the rescues but they had everything to do with the accommodations they're like oh here's a bottle of water uh The community of houston was sending in food like i don't even know how they were sending it in because we had no food we were like surviving off cliff bars like in my rescue bag i always kept like a box of cliff bars yeah um and a bottle of water just in case because like i got left on scene on a cruise ship i got left on the swamp one time um neither case I knew I, I brought my swimmer bag with me it always stayed in the helicopter unfortunately Damn. but uh just yeah just mentally <laughs> I was like oh man like I'll definitely always be prepared and of course all my preparedness flies away with the helicopter but um yeah it was uh yeah so I, I'm not exactly sure how many swimmers were down there but I do know like after the second day, and I forget who it was but there was a I don't know if it was an AST one or a, a chief who set up, we had a whiteboard of like exactly cause you know, once everyone starts flooding in, everyone wants part of the action and I don't blame them. Yeah. Uh, like we're, we're out there, out there doing the King's business, man. Like, like I said, like cutting into roofs, kicking in doors, uh, busting in windows, pulling people out, uh, doing CPR, uh, Graham delivered a baby, uh,
0: i heard about that bob hubby
1: yeah yeah bob hubby helped him deliver the baby uh just absolutely ridiculous stuff so people are coming in and everyone wants to jump and people are i'm not saying they're lying but maybe they're cutting their sleep sleep short or saying like hey i flew in this this time and you know I'm, i'm ready to rock and roll when maybe they're not but i get it and uh yeah. Every, everyone was just trying to get part of the action. Uh, so my best guess would be probably around 40 to 50 swimmers. Wow. Um, and I can send you a photo. I, I took photos of everything. We had like uh, those guys, the boys in Houston, uh, they had chainsaws and trail lines and crash axes like there's a beautiful picture of them all set up and they're like hey if you need it grab it like no questions asked they weren't like hey you need to sign your name and come get this and that they're like hey if you need it it's the honor system grab it and go bring it back so the next swimmer can go like do the exact same thing um and that was kind of cool too because you know how the government is with hey we need to make sure like all our stuff is accounted for and I'm sure we lost axes. I know specifically yeah, I, I lost an axe. Uh, like I, I tried to hit into a window. Yeah. And it was like the axe handle was wet. So I hit <laughs> into the window and I was like, uh, I guess we'll uh, count that, one, chalk that right. one up, up as a loss, man. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome job. That's,
0: that's all. Aw- I mean, yeah. Like I said, I just got out and I remember seeing all, the- I watched on the news and I ended up like talking, like here, I was talking to a few guys who, Went down there and hearing about it was awesome. I mean, just
1: crazy, crazy stuff. That's yeah, what you sign up for. Yeah, so and then so I was flying the next day, and I, I previously previously mentioned Bob Hovey. Uh, so his plane mentioned or called out and we're like, "Hey, we're having a, a people with, I forget what the case was, some sort of medical emergency where they needed to be medevac out of there," and his plane was out of gas. So Bob mentioned or called over, and our helicopter was like, "Hey, we're right here." And so we go over there, lower me down, and I get down there and I'm like, oh, we're uh, some sort of diabetic or maybe dialysis. They, I think they were on dialysis or something. Okay. You know? So, yeah, I get down there and I'm like, oh, what, you know, what's going on? Where, Like, where are these people? And the neighbors, again, they come out and they're like, oh, you know, they just left via flat bottom boat, fan boat. I was like, okay. So I call up to the, my pilots and these pilots, I had never met a day in my life. Like literally before we get in the helicopter, shaking hands. Hey, my name's Corey, you know, yada, 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 all the way down, pilot, co-pilot, flight mech, get in the plane, go, like, hey, we all are trained the exact same way, let's rock and roll. So I'm, I call back up to them. I'm like, hey, these people are good to go. They've already been taken out of here. And so they send down the bare hook and I'm um, maybe the bear hooks, maybe 10 or 15 feet away from me. I'm I'm like to the point where I'm reaching up for it. And this little uh, African-American girl comes up to me, maybe about 12, 14 years old. She's like, hey, you know, like scares the crap out of me. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, like what? And she's like, she's like, I think my brother's dead. And I was like, uh, what? And she's like, yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure my brother's dead. Like, can you come help us? And I was like, absolutely. So I call up to the helicopter and I'm like, hey, th- we're having a medical emergency down here. Uh, I'm going to go check it out. So this girl is driving a car. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, there's no way you're 16, let alone like. So I'm like, where did you go? Like, how did you get this car? And she's like, just hop in. I'm like, eh, all right, all right. whatever. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> like. I'm like, there's no rules at this point. like.
0: Yeah.
1: So I get in the backseat of this car and I go over and the helicopter is following me. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm going to get in this car with this girl. And we, and it was maybe six or seven blocks away. Uh, the only reason they knew that I was there is because the helicopter and they saw me get lower down to the, to the road. And sure enough, unfortunately, her brother, so the family had evacuated for the hurricane So they left, and he said that he was going to head over to a buddy's house. Unfortunately, he had a seizure, and as the floodwater rised, he had his seizure and fell over in his bed and drowned in about an inch and a half of water. Dang. Um, So, yeah, but there was nothing I could do. Rigor mortis had already set in. It was probably one of the worst things that I've ever had to do because, uh, like I, I had mentioned, I didn't know the helicopter crew that I was with. So, I went outside and I was, and you know, if we're not taking dogs, we're not taking deceased people as well. So, I went out there and I was like, hey, I want no part of this decision. Um, I want you guys to make it. I don't want you guys to question anything about this. I'm telling you, the guy's deceased. I've got a family of 20 to 30 people here. You guys make the decision. And they were like, uh. also, we had already hit bingo maybe a minute or two before this so i know we're like we're in crunch time yeah so sure enough they came they came back and they're like we're not hoisting him so i had to go back to the family and i'm like look unfortunately we you know we have 2000 more 911 calls of people that are still alive you know there's nothing i can do right now to to save him so i covered him in a sheet i took actually i'm holding a sharpie just cuz i was taking notes earlier but uh, I had a Sharpie and I wrote time of death, um, all, all my personal information and uh, covered them in a sheet and closed the door. And uh, I'll never forget watching the people's faces, um, just closing the door and, and leaving. Like, And then like I can't, to this day, I can't even imagine like, their son is deceased in their bedroom, in the bedroom he grew up in and now you know and then i'm walking out the door like i can't i can't wrap my brain around that um but yeah from there uh that was my first bag of gas and then second bag of gas we went to we had been putting people at a some, one of the local schools and so they weren't anticipating the water being uh the water rising that high so the water kept rising and rising and rising and then Holy cow, it's at the school. And now the flu—the uh, school is flooded. And uh, so they're like, holy crap. Uh, so my my helicopter's like, hey, or uh, sector, whatever. I don't even know who was being dispatched at that point. But uh, they had called and they were like, hey, you guys need to go and start uh, getting people out of the school. So I get down there and there's like, there's a Navy helicopter uh, and two army national guard helicopters and a coast guard sixty, and I was hoping to link up with the coast guard, other rescue swimmer. That way we could start like kind of prioritizing people. But they, his, uh, their swimmer was doing something else. Uh, I think on the highway or something. So I was down there by myself as a coast guard swimmer, and like one, of, one of the navy. It was very very confusing because people are freaking out and like the navy guy is kind of super cool calm and collected which like brought a calmness to me but he's sitting on a on a stool and there's a line of like 500 people uh waiting to get into a helicopter and i'm like hey did you guys prioritize all these people and he's like yeah man like every everyone's good and it it was just a weird thing i didn't get a good vibe from him so i started going (laughs) up and down the people i was like hey is there anyone with medical conditions and there's people in wheelchairs and like, I I was just like, something's off. And turns out the guy was Cajun Navy. He wasn't in the oh, Navy. Gotcha. Uh, I'm not taking anything away from the Cajun Navy. They, they rescued tons and tons of people, but, um, for him to like, I'm sure he was just being told or doing what he was told to do. But, uh, one of the girls was six months pregnant and she was like having contractions. And I was like, Holy cow. And she was like 200 people into the line. I was like, what is going on? So I ended up spending about three hours, uh, and just rotating, uh, like the, the Navy helicopter landed, the army national guard helicopter landed, the 65 landed, the 60 landed. So I was just like, I, I got on the radio and we all got on the same frequency. And, uh, I was like, "Hey, Hey, how many can you take? And they were like 10. They, they, they would lowball me. And like if it was, you know, everyone's based on a 200-pound rating. Yeah. Uh, so they would lowball me like, hey, I, we can take 10 200-pound people or whatever. And then they would be like, hey, we can take one or two more. And I'd be like, hey, I've got two or three kids. And like I did that for two or three hours. And uh, so my crew bagged out. And then another swimmer came and relieved me. But by the time that came, that guy or that crew came, There was maybe 100 or 200 people, but it got to the point where we were putting people in the back of dump trucks uh, and just like dump trucks were getting them out of there and headed to safe dry ground.
0: That's crazy. That's my Hurricane Harvey story. That's insane. And how many days
1: did you spend there? Um, Including the three days uh, that we got there before, I think six total. Okay. And then actually me, Bob, and Graham got in because they were... So we got a report that uh, the hurricane was going to head uh, start headed to New Orleans. So our chief, Dace Combs, was like, hey... It, oh, I know not Dace. just Dace, but... Uh, yeah, our command was like, hey, we need our swimmers back um, to make sure that all our affairs in, are in order because we thought the hurricane was going to start headed to New Orleans. So me bob and graham hopped to casa down to mobile we spent the night in mobile rented a car and then the next day we uh went back to new orleans and the command wanted a a debriefing and gave them the debriefing and fortunately it uh it never came to came to new orleans yeah uh yeah we were kind of in Thank God it didn't, because uh, our boys and the, you know the crews were ready for at least a quick break. Having, you know, the two two crews always on duty. You know, you're going through four swimmers a day, just B zero and B one, uh, and then oncoming, and then, let alone having the three crews down in uh, Houston, and you know we we have a shop at twelve, so right there you're at what four, five, six, seven, seven people a day. Yeah, like it, it doesn't make it, it's not much of a turnaround. Yeah. And the shot. How big is the shop again? Like how many summers? Is like I I, I think we were we were sitting around
0: 12. Yeah, that's brutal. That's nonstop, basically. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's 12 if we don't have anyone down. And fortunately, I don't think we did have anyone down at that nice. point.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. And fortunately, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember hearing reports. They were saying the hurricane was going to, like, move towards, yeah, Louisiana and everything. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's crazy. Like, But yeah, I mean, fortunately, just
1: kind of died out and
0: yeah hurricane harvey's crazy we've had like three guests on now talk about harvey and it's just like all the stories are unreal there's so many
1: and everyone has such an incredible story of like selflessness
0: yeah and like yeah ashley's stories were crazy too like I, she was even like getting out of the helicopter going to help swimmers and stuff and i was like oh wow that's that's nuts
1: <laughs> yeah yeah she, her her story is crazy and uh yeah i i I hate that I keep mentioning Graham because uh, he's a I stud. Always like to give I, I love talking uh, shit to Graham all the time. But uh, he like you said, he's a stud, man. And uh, his his case is one of those for the books uh, with Ashley in her book.
0: Yeah, I think I got to get him. I had some, I'm sure he'll come on in the podcast. I'll have to like slowly get him yeah kind I'm of warm up to, get to the qualified idea first yeah get qual- i was gonna say i'm gonna get there get qualified and then maybe like stand some duty and see what he's see what he's up to <laughs> well
1: yeah. yeah
0: yeah yeah there you go all right i guess do you want to get into that boat crash case in the gulf now
1: yeah yeah absolutely so that was like hands down uh so i i took some notes just so i didn't kind of forget anything okay um it, so i've got a, a few cases uh I would like to mention if, yeah. And you guys can cut these out if you want, or no, we won't cut them. We'll just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Uh, so yeah, I've got three cases. One, I got stuck in the mud Okay. for a rescue. Uh, this boat had, it was a fan boat, but they had like a backup trolling motor. So their fan boat had, uh, super long story short, they got stuck in the mud. Uh, there was three people on board and, uh, this is somewhere in between Charleston and Savannah, and they ran aground or they put themselves aground intentionally because like the boat wasn't working, so we got caught out there, and like like I said, I keep mentioning the word selfness selflessness, and <clears throat> I got down there, and sure enough, like I'm like, oh man, there's water down there, so I'm thinking I'm gonna be able to like kind of wade my way through or swim. No, as soon as I get down there it's like six six inches of water and I'm about waist to chest deep in mud walking over to this boat and uh get these guys out of here out of there. There's no like real medical emergency. And as soon as I get the last guy up there, the helicopter gets a gov light and they're like, uh, we're out of here. So now I'm sitting in this guy's boat by myself at two o'clock in the morning. And I'm just like, first off, I'm deathly afraid of alligators. I don't know. I'm okay. Like, I grew up surfing my entire life, like we had mentioned, but I do not, I don't care about sharks. Like, if I die by shark, I'm 100% okay with it. (laughs) Alligators, man, I I can't do it. So I'm, like, deathly afraid of alligators. So, yeah, I'm sitting out there. It's, like, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning at this point, and the... My pilots are like, hey, we'll be right back. We're going to drop these guys off. We're going to get this. Uh, so it was a flashing gov light. And I'm sure you can explain the difference between flashing and a, a steady gov light or no. No, I don't remember. I got it. It's been too long. OK, <laughs> so yeah. So a flashing gov is the loss of a system that is redundant. Right. OK. So like a hydraulics, number one and number two, or right. primary and secondary, and then a, a Steady gov light is the loss of a system that's not redundant, uh, so it doesn't have a backup. So, they had a steady or uh, I'm sorry, a flashing gov light. Went back, checked it out, and sure enough, like two or three o'clock in the morning, they either couldn't get it hold of the AEO or EO or whoever was taking EO calls. So, I'm sitting out there, I'm thinking, like, hey, they're gonna get gas and come out and get me in like 30 45 minutes and it doesn't sound like a lot, but put yourself in the middle of the swamp and all you hear, it's maybe like April, May, and you're sitting out there by yourself listening to the bugs. And all I'm doing with my flashlight is looking for alligator eyes. I'm like, this is not how I'm going to go, man. Like (laughs) I've got, you know, we've all got our push button, push button knives. And I'm like holding it in my hand. Like it's going to do something. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, man, I, I can't do anything with this, but, uh, Yeah, and then uh, to go on to another great rescue that I had, um, we got also out of Savannah. I had some really good rescues out of Savannah. So I had four rescues off of- Was that before, so timeline-wise, just what year? Yeah, so I actually, out of A school, I went to Air Station Mobile, um, where I was just kind of like, so I did my airman program in Savannah, and then I went to Mobile, and then I did a year there, and then Z Lee, I don't know if you know Z. No. So he he's a first class swimmer, I think now. But uh, so Z and his wife, his wife got accepted to flight school. So I had known Z obviously when I was an airman in Savannah, and he so they got accepted to flight school, and they had just had a baby. So Z was like, "Hey, I would like to mutual." So I did my minimum tour in Mobile. I did six months and put my chit in, and somehow i got approved and then went back to savannah oh nice and z uh like they ended up like doing their whole thing but uh yeah that's how i got got back to savannah and you
0: were there so i guess you were there it must have been like what 2008 ish
1: yeah so, yeah no so i graduated swimmer school uh december 2008 okay because i was class 1709 which was fiscal year Yeah. Uh, Okay. But yeah, so I was maybe two thousand eleven.
0: Okay. But yeah,
1: so I was like twenty two at the time. Um, but yeah, so got left in the swamp, and then I I just got ridiculously lucky, if you will, um, on these cruise ships. Cruise ship Carnival Fantasy. Shout out to them again. Nice. Uh, (laughs) So there was like four or five cases in a row where, because I'm not sure if uh you or the listeners know but like air station savannah sets up a i forget what it's called but they send a crew up to charleston every day out of john's island um the same thing that uh la used to do down to point magoo i think it is yeah well san francisco san francisco sends
0: there, san, has an op right.
1: in point magoo now yeah yeah so an op fact that's what it's called I mean, i've been out of the coast car for a year now i forget <laughs> all the all the names it's funny how how quick you forget them it just goes yeah for sure (laughs) yeah so we had an opfac in in charleston and uh yeah so there was like four or five cases where i went to they were like hey medevac and either the medevac would happen out of charleston it would be closer or if i was standing duty it would be out of savannah and one time it was out of savannah and i'll never forget the name of uh there was an absolutely beautiful liaison that we had there who I've always wanted to marry if she ever listens <laughs> to this shout out all right <laughs> <laughs> no I'm just messing but uh <laughs> yeah yeah we, yeah so it, it got to the point where I started knowing the people on the cruise ship by first name like Barbara uh, Felipe like he was the head fire guy like with the nozzle like just in case we crashed on the boat and I was just like Dude, I better start getting some sort of frequent flyer miles down yeah. here, man. <laughs> um, so we got called out to a rescue. It was about forty miles, forty miles east of Jacksonville, and there was a co- uh, The call was for a guy in respiratory distress. Or I'm sorry, res- yeah, respiratory distress. So my crew and I kind of talked about it. It was like a daytime case, and it kind of, you know, black and white seems a little bit simple. Uh, there's a, a nurse waiting on board for us. And so I get down there and I'm like, you know, hey, Barbara. Hey, everybody. Like, it's Corey. Like, I don't know how you guys keep getting me. Like, are you guys stalking my schedule or something? <laughs> but so we get the guy on and I I take one look at this guy and he's sitting by himself in the middle. I don't know if so. I've never been on a crew. I've never paid to be on a cruise ship. Every single case, every single time I've been on a cruise ship is being on a rescue. So this guy is in the middle of, I don't know, he's probably got 50 feet on each side of him and he's sitting by himself. So I'm, I'm looking at him before I can even talk to the guy. I'm looking, he's not in respiratory distress. He's in respiratory failure. Uh, they, he doesn't have a shirt on. So I can see him literally using every muscle in his body just to take a, a, a breath. And he's already got a non-rebreather on. So he's got high flow going and he's still like, I'm like, holy cow. Like, this is not just a nonchalant. Let me get you to the hospital. This is like, holy cow. We don't have time to waste. Like this guy might, you know, expire before we get him to the, to the hospital. So I, I talked to the nurse. I hoist the nurse first. I'm like, Hey, all my medical gear is up there. It's already, I already, uh, opened it up and kind of set it out for her or him. I didn't know at the time, but, uh, ended up being in her. I was like, Hey, everything's set up for you, do your thing. Don't worry about, you know, using something that, you you know, just use it um, if you need it. And uh, so I hoist her, I hoist the patient, and I kinda like screwed my flight mech over because this guy was, you know, he's non-ambulatory, he can't walk, he can barely even speak a word, he doesn't know his name, uh, he, you know, it's kind of kinda all over the place. And uh, so he ended up like having to pull him out of the basket because at that point his wife had come over and she hands me, I'm not exaggerating, hands me a packet, like a half an inch thick. She's like, this is his medication for today. Like he needs to be on this. He needs to take this pill at this time. And I was just like, after she started talking for about 20 seconds, I was just like, no, there's no point of me going like there's already a nurse. Uh, your husband's in the helicopter. You can relay this information more or, uh, re, uh relay this relays information better to the doctors at the hospital than I can. And, uh, yeah. So I ended up like hoisting her instead. And so the helicopter was like, Hey, we're, we're out of juice, man. Like you are stuck here. So I ended up like the helicopter takes off and I'm like, man, this is my first time on a cruise ship. So I'm like walking around, and uh, Barbara is my escort, and so I'm like, oh man, like this is kind of cool. Like I've never been on a cruise ship, and here I am in my Triton, in my flight suit, and uh, got my seas bottle. And I'm carrying my flight helmet in my hand, and people are like, oh my gosh! And keep in mind, uh, so they clear the the top deck for any hoisting. So there's hundreds of cameras from the deck below that are like pointing out. All you can see is arms and phones and stuff like that and uh now i'm the guy that they were just recording yeah so i'm just like cruising around and uh people are asking me to sign autographs i'm like man do you guys really want me to diminish the value of your piece of paper like, like, you know like, you don't
0: want this i'm just
1: Cor- <laughs> i'm Corey from delaware man like th- that's it and yeah. uh so yeah um they were like oh. so Barbara. Barbara was like, Oh, like the captain sent me down to, uh, sent me down this card. Like he gave me my own suite, um, gave me the captain's card. He was like, anything, uh, you need, sh- this is her relaying it to me. Uh, anything that I need is on the captain. And I was like, I've never been on a cruise ship. The last thing I want to do is sit in a cabin by myself. Yeah. I was like, Hey, I want to kind of go explore, So I was like, I told her that. And so she was like, okay, like, let's walk around. So I asked if I could go see the captain. So I went straight to the captain and uh, the captain and the pilots had a conversation and uh, they asked, so my pilots asked if they could kind of, the ship could kind of linger around uh, until they got back from the hospital. And the captain apparently told, and I didn't know this until after the case had happened uh, but the captain said, "Yeah." Uh, so that the pilots marked the GPS spot, they flew to the hospital, and little did we know, the captain of the cruise ship started heading south full steam ahead because they have things that the uh, uh, deadlines that they need to meet, like different port calls, and there's a ton, there's millions of dollars involved uh, when those guys are pulling into port and pilots and stuff like that. So when my pilot came back they went to the position it took them 20 minutes just to figure out where where the cruise ship was and <laughs> uh but yeah I, I got a full tour of the boat and the captain of the ship was an incredible guy uh super super nice and like i said i signed some autographs and you know what is it shaking babies and kissing hands yeah yeah uh, <laughs> there we go yes yeah. <laughs> but yeah um Yeah, but, and then I can uh, go into this last rescue that was just kind of wild. So we had just done a training flight. Is this out of Savannah or is this one out of New Orleans? So this is the one out of New Orleans. Okay, cool. Yeah. Do you want me to just get right into it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I was just covering that for the audience because, yeah, so out of New Orleans, I guess, so roughly, I guess it was a couple years ago at this point, right, 2018?
1: Yeah, so about three years ago now. Yeah, so I'm sure you know any... Uh, any swimmer that's been on an uncorrelated Mayday, they know exactly what it is. And I'm not saying that we respond differently, but there's a difference between an uncorrelated Mayday, which let's say I've been on a 100 of them. Let's say 98 of them have been absolutely nothing. And it's some kid coming on mom and dad's boat saying, Mayday. And you guys know that it launches a boat. It launches a helicopter it launched it like a lot of people have to wake up for eight-year-old johnny to come over the radio and say mayday um which is unfortunate but um so it kind of it kind of takes away from the urgency of rescue crews and i'm not saying my crew was lackadaisical in any way shape or form but we got out there and we're kind of cruising out there so let me paint the picture so it was midnight and we had already done a training flight and the SAR alarm goes off and I'm like I finally had just gotten to sleep, so I'm like holy cow and you know the alarms go off and it in New Orleans the alarm is literally directly above your head in the swimmer room right so when that thing goes off like there's no chance that you're hitting snooze on that thing like you're re- <laughs> the alarm's like hey you're getting your butt up and you're ready to you're getting ready to go and, uh, so we figured out it's an uncorrelated Mayday. So we're cruising out, getting the helicopter ready. We fly. And I'm thinking like, you know, um, this is kind of probably going to be like the last 98 cases. Uh, we'll do out here, we'll do our darnest to search. And if we don't find anything, we'll get back to the air station in an hour or two and go back to bed and, you know, maybe get an extra hour of sleep when everyone else is working and doing maintenance. And... Uh, so we're halfway out there and like, this is 120 miles South of New Orleans. So it's a trip for us to get out to, to the local GPS, but, uh, it's about 40 ish miles South of station Venice. So like we're out there and we're searching, we're, or I'm sorry, we're not searching. We're about halfway out there and we get a call over the radio and they're like, Hey, there's significant injuries on board. And we're lit. I'm just like uh, what, like I thought we were out here for an encore, and so they're like yeah, there's significant injuries, and you know you can kind of hear over the radio people yelling. So what? It, and little did we know, but at the time, the boat that had so a thirty foot center console boat had crashed into an unmanned oil plat, pumping station, which I don't know if you what you call it but the mother the mother oil rig has pumping stations that keep the oil flowing from wherever they pumped oil to get into the united states and to wherever it has to go uh so they have lights and horns on them but there's no people so this uh 30 foot center console boat had crashed into it and there was five people on board Two doctors, two nurses, and one of their sons, and it was an all male crew. Um, And they had so they had started once they called Mayday, which is what we initially or what Sector initially heard. Um, their their batteries started going underwater, so they lost their long. Long range radio or whatever, so they went to their handheld radio, which was close. uh, Another giant cargo ship was close enough to pick up what they were saying. So the cargo ship was what was transmitting to us, and they were saying significant injuries on board. And sure enough, uh, we finally get on scene down to the GPS position, and sure enough, uh, it's an oil rig, and you know, there's no doubt about it that a boat had ran into it. And like i sent you those photos i don't know if you'll you'll put them up on the on the screen or whatever for people to see but uh they uh so my uh my pilots my crew um man shout out to those guys incredible people uh mr walters wofford and my flight mate kyle mcclure oh kyle mcclure yeah he's a great guy oh I you know kyle would... oh i know kyle yeah yeah <laughs> he's awesome yeah yeah, so he uh, he ended up sending putting a note on my locker when I got back because those guys got back significantly earlier than I did. He said, "Sorry for leaving you on scene." Love Kyle. <laughs> like <laughs> I was on scene. It took me eight and a half hours to get these people off this boat or off the oil rig, and uh, yeah, uh, so I got on scene. We get lower down, and it, there's a super confined space. Um, there's oil pipes like just rusty pipes sticking out of everywhere and i'm not exaggerating we might have had a three by three if not four by four space just to put me down on a double decker oil platform other there was no other spot for me to get lowered down to and they on the first try the the entire crew just worked perfectly and got me exactly where i needed to go and um i get on scene I get down there and I'm talking to the guys and the first question out of my mouth is man, you boys been drinking? Like it just smells like a brewery. Yeah. Or a li- liquor store or whatever and I you know, no one confirmed or denied whatever. But uh so the first guy that I'm talking to, so it's a straight up vertical ladder uh to get up and down uh from deck 1 to deck 2. So I'm like, hey, let me go see, you know, let me kind of figure out what's going on. And I figure out, holy cow, this is a mass casualty, you know, five patients, one rescuer. Um, Like I said, at this point, it's two o'clock in the morning, middle of the golf by myself. Helicopters, like, hey, you know, pilots are saying I got 10 minutes to bingo. And I'm just like, holy cow, there's no possible way 10 minutes is going to get me anywhere. So I kind of relay back to them. I'm like, Hey, I've got a compound femur, uh, fib, um, three broken necks. Uh, the kid can't, uh, he says, everyone's screaming. The kid says he can't wiggle his toes. He can't feel his feet. Um, so I'm like automatically in my brain, got three broken necks. I need three, uh, collarbone or, uh, neck braces, C collars. Uh, I need to get three litters out here. We didn't bring one, so I call up to the plane. I'm like, "Hey, you guys need to go back, and I need uh, the long term or uh, long range O2 kit. I need uh, I need you guys to bring three uh, litters, B- bring in the backup crew, um, the B1 crew. And I'm just like, bring all the medical gear that you guys could possibly think." And they're like, "Okay, well, we just hit bingo anyway." So they they go back and I had mentioned my uh, rescue bag that I carry a bunch of stuff in. And I was like, hey, drop that off. Like, I don't need any of that crap. Just bring medical gear. And uh, sure enough, they come back. And so I'm on scene maybe about an hour by myself. And uh, one of the guys, and I can't get, I'd mentioned that this is uh, gonna be, headed to court for different reasons. So I can't mention too much about it, but uh, I had asked a couple of the people because I, I found out that they were doctors and nurses. So I asked one of the guys to start helping me with medical care. And uh, he was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no worries. And next thing I know he's taping life jackets to his feet and like, just to show the level of intoxicity (laughs) That was happening, happening. That's crazy. And uh, yeah. So it like I said, it took me eight and a half hours. Uh, the pictures show. I hope you do fo- uh, post those photos just so the listeners can kind of see.
0: When we release the podcast, I'll post them like an Instagram post so people can see it if that works. Um, yeah. We talk about yeah, two too after podcast. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, man, it, it was just kind of crazy. Uh, I probably st- stopped sweating maybe like five hours into it. And then that's kind of when I realized I was like, holy cow, um, this is not good. Like, there's no water. Uh, it's also like April in New Orleans. So, like, that doesn't sound like a lot for people, but uh, like, put a full blown, you know, three foot or three, three, two wetsuit on. And uh, yeah, man, you're pouring sweat. And yeah. So I ended up putting. So the, the oil platform was about four feet off the surface of the ocean. And then I like, it was awkward. So as soon as the small boat got got there, they were like, Hey, rest swimmer over the radio. They're like, Hey, where are you? So I vectored them in with my flashlight. I was like, Oh, you know, and they got there and I was like, Hey, I need every single person that you can give me because the captain of the boat with the compound femur, uh, he was, pushing 300 pounds so there's no way I'm moving him by myself especially him as a doctor he's like screaming for me to give him meds and I'm like hey man yeah I'm a rescue swimmer for the coast guard (laughs) with an EMT like I've got activated charcoal some baby aspirin and some oxygen that's about it yeah um and then uh so he's he's yelling and I feel I felt terrible for him and then his son Uh, he's the one with the son, and his son is screaming and it's just chaos. And, uh, so we get them all on the boat and, uh, the one guy with the broken collarbone. So he had already kind of been in the position of comfort, uh, just with his left arm. Little did I know he had, uh, collapsed his lung and broken a few ribs. Um, so I kind of just taped his arm to his body. you know, everyone's like, Oh, like in EMT school. You're like oh just put him in this thing and i was yes. it's like no man i don't have time for that so i literally just took tape taped it to his body and called it a day and uh yeah so uh i put the captain on the boat um with the help of station venice and then the guy with the the arm because he was kind of like i could talk to him but it the conversation didn't really make sense. Like he kept repeating himself or he didn't know where he was. So I knew there was some sort of like altered mental status there. And uh, sure enough, I left him alone uh, for about maybe five minutes, two minutes, who knows At, at you know, the way things were going at, at the speed of things that were happening. And uh, I, I turn around and he is completely unconscious on this metal rusty grate. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, Uh, At this point, like I'm caring for uh, one of the guys, Uh, he had a gash on his leg. So you could see down to his shin bone, which it wasn't bleeding very much, but you could like literally see his bones or his shin bone. And I was just like, I'm just going to wrap this up and prevent anything from getting in. And then my priority switched to this guy being unconscious. So I put high flow on and kind of brought him back. And I was like, Hey, you know, what's going on? And he just started complaining about his ribs. And that's when I was like, I, you know, made him a priority the same way, if not more uh, of the femur, femur guy. And the femur guy that I, I kind of just loosely wrapped galls around. I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have time yeah. to put traction on him. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, I ended up, like I said, it took me eight and a half hours to get everyone off the boat we ended up hoisting every single person that i hoisted off the boat uh the sun and so there was one guy that was completely unscathed uh just i don't know who's looking out for him up above but someone was and that oh well someone was looking out for all of them because they were all alive when after the boat crash but uh yeah and then yeah and we'll see i go to go to court on next Monday, a week from today yeah. about it. So, we'll see. Yeah, you'll have
0: to let me know how that goes. I'm interested. I mean, obviously you can't talk about like what's going on, but unreal that that would. I mean, obviously I have no idea what happened or what they're suing for, or who's getting sued, but
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like it's kind of the dark side and I mentioned that a little bit earlier. It's just about you know, here we are being as selfless as possible and we sign up for these amazing jobs and all we want to do, like my sister here is a paramedic, uh, in Sussex County, Delaware, and she sees the worst, the worst, yeah. uh, w- when it comes to, you know, either traffic accidents or hair, you know, overdoses or, you know, and she still goes out every day and we, we do the same exact thing. Like we do anything and everything that we possibly can with given the tools that we have in our toolbox. And people are still like, Eh, maybe I can make a penny off this, even though maybe it was, you know, I can't, like I said, I can't say that a hundred percent of it was alcohol to blame. Yeah. But let's say, even if, you know, even if you have a beer and you get in a car accident, was it lack of judgment or was it the beer that you had earlier? You know what I mean? Uh,
0: exactly. Yeah.
1: It's, it's never anyone's fault. Everyone just wants to point a finger and make a, a penny um, yeah and it, it's a terrible spot to be in and one of my good friends, who's now an officer, he had a case where uh, a car had gone off the side of a bridge, and the car had gone into the mud and he, you know it was one of his first rescues and he went in and kicked in the windshield, pulled the bodies out or pulled the people out and Unfortunately, there were bodies at that point, and him being as gung ho uh one of his first rescues attempted to do CPR on both of them and he ended up getting subpoenaed to court and because the uh, family was suing for medical malpractice even though these people had died hours prior to him getting or an hour prior to him getting there yeah uh, it's just unfortunate the the line of work that we signed up for and you're about to go right back into the swing of things so yeah good luck to you and you know keep this conversation in mind it's good to hear that that yeah,
0: it's I mean, it's good to hear what you're saying, because you always hear like when you're in, you know, EMT school, like and it's been a while since you went through. Obviously, I'm about to go through it again. And like they talk about stuff like this where you really do need to like follow certain protocols because stuff like this happens. And it is good to be reminded that people are like pretty sue crazy,
1: <laughs> you know. And Yeah. Well, one of the good things that I, uh, my supervisor said told me was just document anything, anything and yeah. everything, even if it's not. Like what you, even if what you did was not protocol, just make sure you document it that way. Like, because like we talked about earlier, the manual is so black and white until you get down there and you're by yourself and you have that one second to make a decision, whether it's right or wrong, you're making the right decision in that moment. It might not be what the manual says like, Oh, go put a C collar on this person because you know, they were in a car accident, it might be like, Hey, this person's drowning. However, they broke their neck, uh, crashing into an oil platform or going, you know, doing anything. So what do you do? Do you, yeah, absolutely. The C collar and stabilizing the neck is a priority, but making sure they don't drown before you do that is priority number one. So, you know, it's just like that, that NREMT that you're about to have to take. It's, uh, you know, they're all right answers, but you have to prioritize.
0: Yeah. That's so true. So it took eight hours. Did you end up hoisting them all to the same helicopter and they kept like relaying back and forth or did, or can you talk about that or no? So
1: we ended up only, yeah. So we ended up only hoisting two of them. Um, so I, I can't remember if the helicopter came back two or three times, um, but I know the last time they came back, I finally was like got everyone stabilized with uh, litter the litter in the basket. Um, unfortunately, there was some sort of breakdown in communication. The backup crew never came, um, and they didn't bring the some of the gear that I had requested. Just because you know how radios are, as soon as you get yeah. outside of that two mile range, like there's who knows what you're going to hear. Um, and yeah, so we ended up hoisting the two people and then unfortunately the sun couldn't control his bowels. Um, so he, we rode back in on the boat um, and we had an ambulance and paramedic meet us at Station Venice. And um, yeah, so as soon as I got there, they were asking me a million questions and I was just like, I gave the initial report. I was like, everyone's stabilized. I just need a—I need a minute to myself. And I kind of just, I was like, I need a shower. Like I need a shower and I need a bottle of water. Uh, Cause I had mentioned that I stopped sweating hours ago and uh, yeah. So I'm sitting there and I look down, uh, I'm in the, in station Venice's shower and I'm just watching blood drain down the drain of the the shower and I was just like, holy cow, like what just happened? And, uh, yeah, yeah, man, just incredible. Like I'm, I'm super excited, super proud of what I've done, but I would wish that on no one, especially their end of, you know, complacency or whatever the culprit may be. Yeah. Um, there's no need for that. And it was a good one. I wow. got, uh, I received, uh, the human, humanitarian of the year award. Oh, I saw
0: that article actually. Yeah. And, uh, I saw I saw that posted somewhere. I forgot I had it pulled up, but yeah,
1: congratulations on that. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, I did a speech for it and, uh, I was just like, I hate hearing myself talk. So I was super (laughs) nervous about it, but it ended up going off without a hitch.
0: Where'd you give the speech at? Was it like at the station or like at a conference or?
1: No, it was, uh, some local place in new Orleans. Um, I forget, I should know this, but, uh, it was like one of the local community things that they found out about it and gave it to me. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Speeches are hard.
0: Those are hard to pull off. So.
1: <laughs> especially when it's in front of like a hundred or 200 people. And so I went into it cause they were like, Oh yeah, you're, you know, you're going to be going in, like just kind of describe the rescue. And so I'd kind of like, just like for the podcast, i written down notes so I'd written down all these notes and uh, the the guy in front of me that introduced me, he had gone through and like probably, uh mentioned pretty much every single thing that I did in the rescue. So oh, I was like, I, I got there cool. and I was like, uh, I had this whole speech planned of what I've done and uh, here I am. And I ended up just kind of just being like, Oh man, thank you guys for the, for the award. And you know, I couldn't have done it without my crew and the backup uh, you know, even though, fact and the guys that are you know doing the king's business without doing the king's business
0: yeah i don't know like i've never had to give a speech like that and who i'd be pretty nervous of freaking i get nervous (laughs) just talking like giving
1: freaking sweat training (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) well man i got for what i did in uh hurricane harvey i got invited up to the capitol building in dc and I met, uh, tons of politicians, uh, congressmen and senators, and I ended up meeting the commandant and, you know, him and I had some, we, we probably sat there and we had a glass of wine or two. And, uh, (laughs) we were sitting there and just kind of chit chatting about, you know, small things and big things. And yeah. So at first I was super nervous and I was like, you know, Mr. Commandant, like, you know what you know do i i sit here and i tell you the politically correct stuff that you want to hear and he was just like absolutely not like i want you to tell me what is going on in the in the ranks of the coast guard and we ended up having a phenomenal conversation and uh our air station kind of saw some immediate change um and i don't know if it's because i was i came from there and i spoke up about it or uh all air stations kind of saw a little bit of a budget f- budget flux um, just for small things. And, you know, I talked about, you know, when the coast guard is asking for money, you know, we get, everyone talks about millions and millions of dollars. And I was like, well, you know, when I had the, when I had to pronounce the the guy dead in uh, hurricane Harvey, I didn't, I had a body bag and then I requested more body bags because I had no idea at that point, how many more people were going to be perishing. So I requested from uh, air station Houston. I was like, Hey man, uh, we need more body bags. Every swimmer, at, at least every swimmer needs to have a body bag on them. And they were like, we don't have any body bags. So that was kind of a red flag for me. I was like, how, how do we not have body bags? Like, what are we going to do? So, you know the pump bags that that are we double them in an emergency uh we can use them as body bags but to be able to not have proper body bags was a huge thing for me and uh, i kind of was an advocate for it and making sure like if we need it we need to have it especially when it comes to medical gear um we get super hyper focused on you know the greatest climbing gear and uh pool gear and rescue gear and i get it that's a priority but at the same time uh it doesn't matter if you get twenty dollar fins or fifty dollar fins i guarantee you you you'll swim your laps in the amount of time you need to swim your laps but when we're putting people uh in in bags or they need medical treatment we need to make sure that we're providing them with the best medical equipment that we can give them And uh, yeah, that was a a big thing for me.
0: You're right. Yeah, we do. I think a lot of times like tend to like our EMT skills are should be priority, but sometimes we're more worried about swimming, like you're saying, or just like staying in shape. And it's like that that EMT gear is vital when it actually matters. Yeah, we tend to neglect it, not neglect it, you know, but I mean, we should it should be like top priority
1: at all times. Yeah, absolutely. And like. There's not a doubt in my mind, maybe maybe one or two of us get a little bit out of shape. Maybe, you know, you had a bad month or two or three months or something, but there's no doubt in my mind that any swimmer that's ever graduated the school cannot pass that PT test. Like I'm not saying that the PT test is easy and we need to work at it, but if you graduated that school, (laughs) like you, you are able to pass that PT test. Like, yeah, pretty easy.
0: Yeah. That's, that's hundred percent sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, there's guys that I know that can, you know, outlift me by 200, 300 pounds. And it was like, Holy cow, guys that are bodybuilders and, you know, next month I'm going to uh senior chief Grasinia's retirement. And that guy's literally a professional bodybuilder. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he, he, he had a motorcycle accident, so I don't know if he could pass like the, the shuttle run at this point, but, um, back before his ankle was full of metal like (laughs) there's no doubt in my mind that 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 big old lug could pass the pt test you know
0: (laughs) yeah your cases are crazy and like it's cool because you know it's like rescue swimmer but all your cases all these big cases you're talking about we're all just like delivering emt skills prioritizing and you know like coordinating rescues and like coordinating helicopters it was a lot of like really integral like intricate stuff that you don't think about when you think about a rescue swimmer you know but that is a lot of the jobs doing stuff like what you were doing, you know, in new Orleans and Harvey
1: and stuff like that. It's just about being a liaison at some point. It's like just telling people what you need. And I I went on a rescue, um, just kind of backtracking earlier in my career, uh, also out of Savannah, but out of the air fac, um, we got called for, we were on our 22 or something on our 24 hour shift and we were doing a static display at one of the middle schools and uh, we got called for a guy that amputated his hand uh, about 65 miles off of somewhere north of Charleston. Um, and uh so my crew and I were like, okay, like we had to clean up the helicopter, kick the kids out and like, hey, let's rock and roll, stop and get gas. And we get out there. It's like eight to 12 foot seas. Like I said, 65 miles offshore. So, and literally the first day of dry suit season. So what are we at? 69 degrees air temp. And I forget what the uh, parameters are, but it's hot like to wear a dry suit. And uh, so we're, I'm sitting in the back of the helicopter, sweating my butt off. My pilots are like, um, Yeah, let's just free fall you in. My only operational free fall, by the way, in 13 years. (laughs) Uh, So I free fall in, I swim over to the boat, and the first thing I see is a trail line on this boat. You know, our our trail lines are, you can't be like, oh, that's just another rope. Like, they're very noticeable. And, uh, you know, they're bright orange, polypro. And uh, so I'm like, what the heck is going on? So kind of put it in the back of my mind like whatever and uh i climb myself onto the boat and there's just it smells terrible absolutely like just fish guts everywhere there's blood all over the deck and i'm like oh my goodness like I, this is not what i signed up for you know i saw the guardian there was no fish yeah. guts there was, no, <laughs> there was none of this there wasn't blood everywhere <laughs> on these rescues and Um, so I started talking to the guy and the captain of the boat. So, uh, the initial call was that he had cut his hand off. Turns out he had only cut two and a half of his fingers off. So two of his fingers were sitting in a plastic Ziploc bag and the other one was dangling by the bottom of his skin, uh, the bottom of the finger of the skin, his middle finger. So he cut off the pinky. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we're, I'm just like, holy cow, like what's going on? And I'm talking to the guy and I'm just saying, hey, you know, pack your stuff. And the guy's just telling me, he's like, hey, I need uh I all I need is a band-aid or I need you to tape this. And I'm just saying, hey man, I'm not a band-aid delivery service, brother. Like, uh I'm not, you know, if I do give you a band-aid, what are you gonna do? band-aid where your two fingers are missing. Like this is not happening, bro. And, uh, so we kind of have like a two minute conversation and I'm just, Hey, I can't touch you medically because if I do give you something and I leave you and it gets infected, that comes back on me. And I, I don't want to, you know, little did I know I was going to be going to court two different times for rescuing us in my future (laughs) career. But um, so I put the fingers in the bag and this guy ended up. So I'm talking to the guy and I'm like, Hey, where's your first mate? You know, every commercial fishing boat has a first mate or some sort of of hierarchy. And he's like, "Uh, man, my first mate is passed out drunk down below. And I'm like, Holy cow, bro. Like what is going on? So I'm like, at this point, my pilots are uh, calling over the radio. They're like, Hey, you're two minutes to bingo. Uh, I'm like, who the heck is this guy? And this guy's like, this is my first fishing trip with this crew. I have no idea what's going on. Um I'm just here to fish and help out. So, now our options are super limited. The first mate is passed out drunk. This guy has no idea how to operate the boat and the captain of the boat is missing fingers and bleeding all over the place. And two of his fingers I'm holding in a plastic bag. And uh so our options are super limited. So I'm like, hey, man, I need you to drop the anchor. There was already a, a boat out of station in Charleston coming out there um, because the third guy was saying that he thinks he can uh, captain the boat back to port. And keep in mind, there are drugs and alcohol all over this boat, which I kind of took as a sign of disrespect. So I kind of had a bad taste in my mouth. You know, you guys called me. I didn't call you to come out here and inspect your vessel. So yeah, I definitely, was a little bit salty if you will, uh, talking to them. So the guy ended up dropping the anchor and now I feel terrible about it. Cause I told him, I was like, you need to drop the anchor and his third finger fell off and oh, when he damn. did whatever he had to do to the anchor. So I'm like, <laughs> Oh my goodness gracious. And I pick <laughs> his finger up and I throw it in the bag with the other three. And, uh, <laughs> my pilots at that point were saying um yeah uh, we passed bingo because we had a uh, hand surgeon waiting at university of south carolina waiting for us because like i said we thought his whole hand was amputated but false report and uh so we called back and we're like hey man it's just it's his few fingers and so they kind of stood down the surgeon and we ended up not recovering his fingers um Just due to the hoist and lack of time, but, but, uh, yeah, but whoever, if this guy ever listened to this podcast, (laughs) man, I'd love to, I'd love to hear from you, but he almost got, (laughs) uh, he almost got decapitated though, because, uh, when he got out of the helicopter, he, he was telling me how, so when I hoisted him, he ended up having to go to the bathroom and, uh, he urinated in the basket And unfortunately I was directly below it. So you you can do the math. And, uh, (laughs) so that made me even more upset. And then we got to the hospital or we got to the airport where we had an ambulance waiting and uh, he was like, I have to stand up. I need to stand up. So me being me, I was like, Oh man, just, you know, stand right next to me. You know, in the 65, we're just kind of standing there in the, uh, right outside the cabin door. And the pilots are shutting down because at this point we're at like 250 pounds of gas, which you get. I mean, that's that's pretty that's pretty, pretty low. freaking low. Yeah, you know, especially when we when we have a 70 pound 70 pounds that can't be used. Mm-hmm. Um, so this guy, I turn around. The flight mech asked me to do something or handed me something, and this guy takes off directly to the front of the helicopter. And I'm just sitting there and there's nothing I can do. I just put my hands on my helmet and thank goodness. Uh,
0: he short? Whoever's,
1: whoever's watching, I don't even remember if he was short, <laughs> but someone was watching out for him and he did not get decapitated in front of me. That's for sure. But then he ended up Damn. like going to the ambulance and uh, his pants were soaked with in urine and the paramedics were not happy. Cause they were like, you know, they were asking for his vitals and, it's like man, I have no idea what his vitals are. Like I didn't have a chance to, you know. I'm still soaked in his urine, uh. But yeah, it's Whew. anyone that's, yeah, that's listening to the podcast that wants to get into rescue swimming, get ready.
0: Yeah, <laughs> some of the it's real all about, like, real cases. The Guardian Glory. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. A, lot of, a lot of stuff like that.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: but yeah. But, awesome i mean those are great cases
1: yeah it's one of the great reasons I, I was super excited for you to uh invite me onto the podcast listening to all the people that have come on here before me just incredible people and human beings and uh like ashley and the SAR tech before and i think you guys you, did you guys have an army sergeant or something green beret or something
0: Oh, so we did, um, that was like a, we did a partner podcast basically like um, where we kind of co-hosted. It. It's called One's Ready. One's Ready. It's with a PJ, a, I'm trying to think, a couple PJs. There's uh, Army Special Forces and I think that's it. It's just PJs, Special Forces and CCT, so Combat Controller. Um,
1: okay. Yeah, those guys are crazy. bad. Did you listen to that episode? Yeah. Dude, yeah, like just awesome. incredible. And Just when I think like we're a bunch of badasses and we can go out there and, and do the king's business. Uh, probably the same way hopefully uh, they listen to what we say and just like holy cow these guys see this on such a regular basis and you know some of these rescues are just hey you know you go to your significant other and hey I'll see you later and you never know where you're well where you'll end up and you're like oh by the way I'm 65 miles offshore I don't know if I'll be home today or tomorrow you know I, I broke I ended up breaking down on uh, the tallest standing structure in the entire world at some oil rig on the border of uh, Florida and Alabama. It doesn't look that tall from surface, but uh, apparently it goes, I don't know, thousands of feet down below. And we fought it out. We fought it out. The, uh, (laughs) that oil rig for a few hours. Nice. But, yeah, it's just crazy. You never know what you'll get into on a on any random 24 hour shift. So true. Yeah. But, yeah.
0: So, what are you up to now? I know we talked a little bit about you heading to Bend, Oregon. So,
1: yeah, I got accepted. Uh, so, when I got out of the Coast Guard, I kind of didn't know what to do. So, I moved back with my parents. Thank God they welcomed me with open arms because I would be homeless. And, yeah, loving you parents. know, I, I'm starting to become like a huge advocate for veterans awareness um, because the process is very convoluted and you know there's not much there's not a big roadmap on how to get your benefits that you've earned uh there's no road especially like with corona i ended up not getting taps um everything is blamed on corona and you know unfortunately it's it's a huge problem but um at the same time i i didn't know how to go through the va and here i am on month 11, uh, and I still, you know, still am waiting to get my uh, service connection rating, which the ball is not in my court anymore, it's, it's in someone else's, but yeah, so uh, my parents welcomed me with open arms, and I lifeguarded in South Bethany this summer, um, and then when that season ended, I taught surf lessons, I've been surfing since I was seven, six or seven. And I also want to do a shout out to surfers for autism. Best day ever. There's another program. Oh, what is it called off the top of my head? I'm, I'm forgetting it. I'll, I'll think of it in a second.
0: We get throw it. Yeah. Throw it in the show notes or also on a Instagram post something too, if you want to yeah.
1: give them a shout out. But yeah, just, uh, that, I got into that, um, just randomly my days off from, le- uh, rescue swimming and being in the coast guard down in Savannah. I lifeguarded, uh, for Tybee Island. And one day they had too many lifeguards and they were like, Hey, does anyone with the day off? And sure enough, I raised my hand and they're like, Oh, by the way, uh, surface for autism is going to be here. And I knew nothing about it. And the way it started to die down. And so I, I volunteered, I signed up and the uh, first family was like, Hey, I kind of just don't know what I'm doing. Uh, let's figure this out together. And it was their first time. And uh, the kid Garrett and his mom, Cheryl, who I still am in very close contact with, uh, just kind of said, you know, let's see what we do. And uh, Garrett is a low-functioning autistic kid. Um, so, and I knew nothing, absolutely nothing about autism. And his mom kind of briefed me and she was just saying, uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really talk, he doesn't smile, he doesn't show emotion. Um, and the things he does say are just going to be kind of off the charts. So, you know, I was 23 at the time, like whatever, let's figure this out. So I pushed Garrett into his first wave ever and Garrett stood up on his first wave and he jumped off that surfboard and literally jumped on top of me, straddled me and kissed me on the cheek and was just clapping uncontrollably. And, uh, His mom, I look over to his mom and his mom, Cheryl was on her knees in tears, crying, like she had never seen him have those emotions. And that, that first day, uh, hook, line and sinker. Uh, so now I travel all over. Unfortunately, the last year we haven't been able to do any SFA programs, but, uh, yeah, the other program, the best day ever is what I was thinking of, but, uh. Yeah. So, uh, lifeguarded taught surfer taught random surf lessons this summer and got a job at the home Depot. Uh, just kind of hanging out cause, you know, I'm still an EMT. I actually just renewed my EMT license just in case the whole flight school thing falls through.
0: Hey, that's a smart uh, move. I'm, I'm regretting not doing
1: that. <laughs> yeah. It's a quick, yep. it, it only took me like 20 minutes to, to, to do it as opposed to you're in, you're you're I'm, in I'm trouble to go back going through Petaluma. that seven-week program again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yikes. Actually, I don't
0: do too bad. I do pretty well in school, so I didn't mind it.
1: At least you have the background for it. You kind of know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah, back when I went through it, it was only three weeks start to finish.
0: What do you think? Do you think that's better or worse?
1: <sighs> I think it's better, man. It, it was just down and dirty. So I actually ended up failing the national registry the first time because I uh, refused to study OB. <laughs> Damn. I was like, Oh my like, oh, I'll never have to deal with this in my career. You know, here we are jumping out of helicopters and sure enough, the national registry doesn't care if you jump out of helicopters, they care that you're nope. an EMT. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so sure enough, I got, as soon as I bombed the first question, the second question, third question and, I ended up getting an onslaught of OBGYN questions and um, yeah, so I went back to my station in mobile and they were like, Oh, you know, did you pass? And you know, <laughs> you can see exactly what you failed on. I was like, no, I failed the OB section. So I had to get in the Mo- mobile shop is huge uh, because you have a stand team there and you have the air station. So they were like, Oh, Corey, uh, since you failed the NREMT, that part uh that portion you're gonna teach all of us ob i was like oh my goodness gracious <laughs> so i had to go in and figure out about ev- anything and everything there was to deliver babies and i had to go back and take the test out of my own pocket and uh i fortunately passed it the second time and i was i was ready for the ob questions right on <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah but um, yeah. where were we going? Oh yeah, yeah, so yeah. That, I want to talk about to Bend. yeah, Bend. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So this is uh the only school in the country that the uh, Montgomery GI Bill uh pays for, one hundred percent of the tab of uh you can do fixed wing or rotary wing flight school, and you get your associate's degree in I picked um aeronautical aeronautical science, um, and my professional helicopter pilot's license so i'll get my vfr and ifr license and with the expectation of i still need to teach to get my hours afterwards and hopefully get picked up by emory riddle to get my bachelor's degree okay in it, and then probably my turbine license and um yeah and hopefully fly for a medevac company or stay pleased or you know even if it's one of the robinsons off the atlantic city boardwalk or something i think that'd be super cool and you know maybe eventually yeah. go to school to be a paramedic you know I, I i love this job and i love the lights and sirens and the you know the sound of engines that make you yeah. fly
0: totally yeah that's awesome congrats get picked up for that that's like because yeah like i was saying earlier i know a bunch of or a couple guys who have been through that um and yeah it seems like that's awesome that the freaking gi bill is it you see Mo, the montgomery gi bill covers it not the uh, post nine eleven? 11
1: Oh, sorry. yeah, is it, it is the, it is the post nine I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Right on. Yeah. yeah.
0: So yeah. GI Bill covers that. That's awesome. So they, they cover all the training to get your, your pilot's license and then
1: also the bachelor's degree after or. So that stone, I haven't unturned yet. Um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure just because I know, uh, this school is a $92,000 associate's degree. Okay. Um, yeah. So we will see how much is left over on that. But, um, so I, I think it's a once in a lifetime opportunity, uh, getting picked up, you know, I'm single. I don't have any kids, uh, you know, I, as much as I love my parents. Uh, but it's time to time to get out of here. And, you know, after being on my own for over 13 years, rescue swimming, coming back home, it's been a blessing and seeing my niece grow up and that sort of thing. And, uh, being around family and, you know, people change and things change. And, it's still time. Uh, the one thing that I've noticed about rescue swimmers, which I wanted to mention, and not just swimmers, but people that you know do this job or do anything, kind of you know, PJs or like. I don't know any Navy SEALs. I know people that have tried to be Navy SEALs, but they kind of s- uh, show the same attributes. Everyone is so extreme. No one, no one can do anything in mediocre. where <laughs> or, you know, whether it's jumping out of helicopters or you know, Chris Wheeler is one of my greatest friends. I don't know if you know wheels or not, but, uh, yeah. So wheels is up in Kodiak right now. And he's a, I think he's a four-time Ironman and him and I swam around Key West together uh, to raise money for March of Dimes. And it was like a 12 point something mile swim and took us eight some hours. And we ended up like raising a ton of money. None of us have this brain where it's like, Oh, I can just go swim a mile and raise money. Like let's just go swim around the Island or let's jump out of helicopters. Let's go be pilots. Like everything is so ex- extreme. And Brian Kirkendall, he's the chief up in Detroit, I think right yep. now. Uh, he's an ultra marathoner. He's just like, Oh, let me go run a hundred miles from like wherever it is down all the way down to, you know, miles of Euro in Key West. Yeah. So, like, we're not wired normally. Like everyone (laughs) does everything to such a crazy extreme. Yeah. Which I love for better or for worse. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. But yeah. And same thing, like just surfing and you know, I spent the entire month of February of 29, yeah. Uh, 2020, uh, in Nicaragua. Like I saved, I saved up all my money or all my money all my uh, time, all my leave. I was like, Hey, let me cruise down here. And uh, I kind of, I had a feeling that I was getting out uh, just at that point, my career. And sure enough, I spent the entire month down there and I was like, I absolutely fell in love with the place like Nicaragua, uh, Costa Rica, El Salvador. Uh, I just love surfing and being part of the the community down there. You know, it's in a little bit of uh, unrest right now, but
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, just, I, I'm just a, a lover of the water.
0: Yeah, are you gonna get into some freaking surfing up in Oregon? So, it's good if you look at my <laughs> if you
1: look at my YouTube history, man, uh, that's yeah. all it is: this is uh, surfing Oregon. And um, you know, one of my good friends, she's an actress in uh, L.A. Um, so I I hit her up like every week. Now I'm like, oh man, like check out this surf spot for me, and she takes her dog out there and uh, yeah. So she sends me videos. She's like, is this, she doesn't know anything about surfing, but I, I life parted with her here in Delaware. Um, I don't know, 15 years ago now. And her and I have stayed in touch and, uh, we, we had a little bit of a, not a falling out, but a, uh, you know, she went through her career path and I went through mine, but we, we connected, uh, here within the last, I don't know, five years or so. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to hanging out with her and seeing her and she's gonna show me the ropes of the West Coast and I've never yeah. lived out there with the exception of uh, you know EMT school research and advanced school. Yeah.
0: Did you uh, ever did you surf out there uh, when you went to Ahars at all?
1: I did. So I got the biggest nice. wave I've ever surfed uh in Which my beach? entire life. OB in San Fran. Okay. Oh my, right on yeah, another one of my buddies that lifeguarded out here in Beth in South Bethany. Uh actually he lifeguarded at Middlesex. Um him and his wife before they had kids. Uh they were like hardcore beach rats uh with me and uh Mark hooked me up with a surfboard and a four three and some booties and we went out there and it was it was probably like double overhead. And uh I I was just so super stoked. Like I I just went down the line and I was super undergunned. I had like a five eleven surfboard and I mean, it might have been 6 0, but I mean, we're talking an inch or two. Yeah. And uh, I just I just rode prone. Like, I, I was so stoked, like, just super excited, just riding down the face of the wave. And uh, yeah, it was an incredible experience. But yeah, yeah just to be s- surfing so close to Mavericks, and you're just like, holy cow, man. I'm, it's right yeah. there. It's the same swell, but. And then. Yeah yeah just watching seals pop up you're like holy cow this is crazy
0: yeah i follow um i follow i forget his name i don't know him personally i just know him through instagram i follow him on Insta. i follow him and he is stationed in san francisco and they were doing flyovers of mavericks when it was going off like i want to say like a month ago or so and it was unreal to see yeah from a helicopter you know and just yeah. like so cool yeah. yeah all those
1: guys like the guys that are out in hawaii i follow you know uh you know you're 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 about to get back into it and um all the guys that are stationed on hawaii that are flying over and seeing like uh hawaii pipe and just yeah you're about to get right back into it man i'm I'm pumped for you and i'm excited to uh keep following you on social media to watch your progress
0: appreciate it thanks yeah thanks for that and yeah that's why like i Love doing this freaking podcast because it's like so good connecting with swimmers that I probably would have never, like I probably would have never crossed paths, you know, and yeah. obviously we wouldn't for sure. And like, it's cool to just get experience from you and pass it on, you know, hopefully someone listens to this and maybe gets stoked and inspired to go swimmer, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. So what, uh, did you get out as a third or?
0: Yeah. So I, okay. out of tr so I finished a school 2013 did four years in Detroit, and then I got immediately got out and just started school at uh, as a I was at E four when I got out AST three, for anyone listening, and went to Colorado, moved to Boulder, finished my degree in like three years, and now I'm jumping back in.
1: Okay, very cool. Yeah, So, yeah, man. If you know, not that you need any advice, but I was a AST two. Um, I had every qualification you can imagine. I was EFEB CPR instructor, RS instructor. I was a QA. So I, I did it all, and the best thing that I could do was shut up and listen. yeah, appreciate sure that <laughs> you know, like and that's not just for you, but i I think that's everyone that is going through this program. you know, you might think you're the baddest mf'er on the planet. I guarantee you there's someone bigger, better, faster than you, and that's what I always wanted to be. I wanted to be bigger, better, bigger, better, faster than the people that I was talking to that I always idolized, and uh yeah. I, I don't know. It's just incredible experience. And to like, to this day I go to the gym and I see people working out and like, I'm going to be bigger, better, faster than you. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, that's just my stupid mindset. Even if I, I can't bring myself, like I'm always just saying, I'm going to go to the gym and just hit the sauna for, you know, 20 minutes. And I see someone getting after it. Like, eh, I guess I got 10 extra minutes. I can go, you know, do some curls for the girls. Next thing I know, I'm 45 minutes into a workout. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, yeah yeah it goes yeah but <laughs> yeah cool man if there's nothing else for me or you or yeah any questions
0: yeah i think we could wrap it up that was freaking awesome i think we went longer than most shows and really it was full of like tons of good info so i cool. appreciate it thanks for sticking it out and giving us your sar history dump that we needed
1: yeah dude i i blocked off the whole day i was just like man i'm, yeah. I'm gonna do the podcast and go surf. hopefully it went well yeah well not today it's (laughs) the waves aren't any good today but cool man cool yeah great talking to you